Welcome back to Hot Takes Only. This is episode 38. And I know, Willie, that you and I have been kind of, uh, you know, touch and go a little bit the last month or so. We haven't had enough time to, to talk about some of the big news that's happened over the last couple of weeks, uh, both, you know, in, in person, you know, over Skype, if you will, and, and via text. We texted about a couple of things that have happened, but we're, we're going to get to those a little later. Um, but first and foremost, this has been probably the most chaotic two week stretch we've had just as far as news between the two sports that you and I follow closest, which is baseball and soccer. So oh. I, I'm just trying to get you a sense. What, what are your thoughts about like everything that's happened in the last, basically since our last episode? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I would say for me, um, the super league was one of the craziest within the world of sports was one of the biggest stories I've ever seen uh, in my life. Uh, it really, within the lines of the field, it really doesn't get much bigger than that. So, you know, I think that it was funny because it happened so quickly and shattered kind of so quickly, even though, you know, I, it'll probably come back at some point. But, you know, like that was like really, I took a deep dive into that, and that was just really really crazy like that was like i said i can't stress enough one of the biggest sports stories we will ever see in our entire life yeah i have to agree and and i think the the big thing with the super league is that it's it's the fact that it was so short-lived in the format that mm. uh it was proposed by the the 12 founding clubs uh led by florentino paris the president of real madrid i, I think it's more so just the the severity of of how all of it was laid out as far as these are the 12 founders they're going to be playing for this much money they've already gotten a, a they've already been underwritten for this much money i think it was like what 4.5 billion dollars mm-hmm. um and they're going to start playing as soon as they can you know right on the eve this is literally the week before and we're going to talk about these as well the champions league semifinals uh the first leg anyway we're going to talk about those in a little bit but just the timing of all that Literally a week before all that, Liverpool had to play a game the day it was announced, the day after it was announced, formally. And it was one of those things where, okay, so Liverpool drew 1-1 against Leeds on the road. In other years, I would have been furious at the performance, basically throwing away a one-goal lead and only scoring once, even though they had so many chances to, to put Leeds away. Uh, it, it, I just didn't have any sort of emotion after that result whatsoever. I was just like, well, I, I don't even know if it's going to matter. But, you know, the, the power of social media became so evidently clear. Uh, Jordan Henderson and Premier League captains led a coordinated assault. Jordan Henderson and all of Liverpool's players put out a statement on social media. Um, various, I mean, people from all over, former players, pundits, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone came out against this idea. And it, it really is. It goes against the... The idea of what sports is. Sports are a meritocracy. You mm. earn what you you earn what you earn. You don't get any things you don't earn. You're not given mm. things. You have to go out there on the pitch and compete just like everyone else. And yeah. the Super League took that away. Mm-hmm. And so for it to come and go as quickly as it did, I think, is is both a bad thing because we know it's gonna come back. I mean, yeah. Florentino Perez has said it's gonna come back at some in some form. Yep. Uh yep. but that Collectively, the world understands that greed and corruption in mm-hmm. the highest governing bodies of sports is is 
it's going to be held in check for hopefully as long as, as we can. But I got to say, this is wrapping your head around why as a fan mm-hmm. is, is just so impossible. I, I don't know. Is yeah. it just, is it just me? No, no, not at all. Um, and I think, you know, like you, like you just said, uh, when you're talking about sports is a meritocracy. And I think, you know, that's what makes football, football is such a beautiful game. You know, it's, it represents competition. It represents anyone, any player can have a dream in doing anything. It represents all these great different competitions, whether it's, you know, now with the new club world cups and you got the domestic leagues, the country cups. Mm. Um, and it just represents such a beautiful game and sport. And, um, uh, you're right. The, you know, I mean, the, it was amazing to see everyone stand up, um, and, uh, and try to hold the integrity. It was so sad to see it go down. I mean, but I, I do think kind of like you said before, I mean, I think the, the players, taking a stand was a big thing because Mm -hmm. as beautiful as it was and as happy as I was to see fans stand up and make a push and not let these greedy owners get whatever the hell they want. Um, you know, I, I ultimately don't think the owners care. I think now when it comes to players or managers, that could be more of an issue to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, just to see the wave of player and fan support was just, it was just a beautiful moment. It took, it was really one of the best three days. <laughs> it could have been one of the worst. Maybe ultimately, like you said, it's going to come back in some form. They're going to keep trying. And, you know, like Fiorentino Paris said, in some iteration, there's a decent chance that it'll happen down the road, uh, particularly because the structural issues are still there. But uh, for now, it was just a really beautiful moment to see to see this not happen. Yeah, and and I want to share with you all one of the quotes. It's funny you bring up Perez because he's such a lightning rod for for mm. all these things. He's always been someone who, throughout the course of his his tenure as Real Madrid's president, has said some of the most outlandish things about our sport. Mm. But I think the most ridiculous thing, uh, and I'll I'll read as much of this quote as I can. This is just from Bleacher Report um, Instagram post from a little while back. He said, it cannot be that in England, the six lose money and 14 make money. In Spain, the top three lose money and the others make money. It cannot continue. At the moment, the rich are those who are losing money. So I'm not going to get too political because I know there's folks who don't like the mix between sports and politics. And yes, that I just ignore that altogether. But this is focusing purely on the, the economics of football, of soccer. That statement right there is the most Reagan-esque thing to ever come out of any president's mouth, uh, any sporting director's mouth, because it is literally just emphasizing that all they care about is the top six clubs in England or three clubs in Spain or whatever it is around the around the around Europe, the top clubs making money while the other, the rest of the league basically loses money or doesn't make that same kind of money. Yeah. And it's just it's pure trickle down economic yep. triple trickle down sure. economics, and it doesn't work. It does it it doesn't yeah. work. And that's that's the um, that's the sad part, Owen, about this. And um, I'm glad people you know know better. But the you know the sad part about this is you know uh, while it, you know the big clubs do some of them do carry a certain amount of debt. I mean what they were. <laughs> 
their their argument where they try to you know rationalize this whole super league is well we're gonna we're gonna help the football pyramid by presumably distributing a bunch of money but ultimately like you said what it really is is a cash grab for those 12 teams or whatever iteration it is in the future and destroying every you know most of the local leagues the cup competitions the the new club world cup format i, I think it would also hurt other clubs around the world so it really is like you said it's it's 12 clubs uh or those clubs like you said those big com- looking out for just themselves uh and not themselves and you know i don't know like you said if the analogy you gave you know i don't know if they you know really think either they don't care or maybe they do really think that well if we make it you know the kind of the the trickle down economics thing where they make a bunch of money and you know distribute more money to the you know organizations and stuff but either way i mean it's just going to ruin it would just really destroy this beautiful sport which is so amazing and um it would do unconsequential damage and what i will say is this everyone's welcome for their opinion some of the guys in our group chat uh, you know, they they say, you know, money's already been in the game. This wouldn't have super big consequences in the long run. Like, I disagree. I really think that um, this Super League would really wreck, destroy much of the European football um, landscape in, in, and some countries around the world as well in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean... So I don't think there's a situation in which the Super League benefits any club outside of the 15. Mm-hmm. And for those who aren't as familiar, so there's 12 founder clubs of the European Super League. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those 12 clubs include Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea, and Tottenham, the big six in England. Mm-hmm. In Spain, three of the big ones, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid. In Italy, AC Milan and Juventus. I think, was Inter Milan involved in that as mm-hmm. well? Inter Milan as well, and uh, coincidentally, no German team was involved. Uh, and so it was one of those things where there was an established kind of agreement among the big, big super clubs around around Europe and and Man City. They're not there yet, although they're probably going to win the Champions League this year. Let's be honest. Uh, but but the historic these are historically massive clubs, mm-hmm. and their billionaire owners are getting together and saying. We need to preserve our own wealth because all of us are losing money in a pandemic, which is true for everyone around the world, except for maybe like Jeff Bezos and the 0.001%. But that's a very isolated incident. That's not the norm. Uh, And and so it's them getting together and colluding and trying to destroy any idea, any potential for those clubs in the future, should they not qualify for the Champions League to lose money? Because ultimately, at at the end of the day, what draws players to clubs like Liverpool Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid. What draws players to those clubs is playing in the biggest competitions. It's earning Mm -hmm. through their progress in the league, through playing well domestically for a whole entire year, an entire season from September all the way through May, and being rewarded by playing in Europe's most prestigious competition. You have to earn your place in the Champions League. You don't just get, you don't just qualify based on who you are. Yeah. Now, the counter argument to that is that, well, UEFA's proposed changes to the Champions League, which won't go into effect until 2024, 
basically mean that clubs who don't qualify for the Champions League through their own league, through finishing top four or top three, whatever it is, uh, in the league, they qualify based on their UEFA coefficient, which is basically how big mm -hmm. of a club are they and, you know, mm -hmm. do they... Mm -hmm. It's basically guaranteeing a spot for the likes of right now Tottenham and Arsenal who aren't mm -hmm. in the Champions League or who didn't mm -hmm. finish top four last year, mm -hmm. but they're big enough clubs, at least in the eyes of UEFA, that they have to be in this competition regardless of how good they are at that moment in time. And that is, a, it's kind of like what the Super League is, and we have to keep UEFA honest as well. They're, they're not the good guys. I mean, let's let's be clear here. No one, no one who's being praised for pulling out of the Champions League, like Chelsea and Man City, these aren't these aren't the good guys. These are still clubs that were mm -hmm. going to benefit very disproportionately from the Super League. Mm -hmm. And and there's just there's there's so yeah. much at stake when it comes to not just the top of the pyramid, your your big <laughs> clubs, but there have been clubs all throughout specifically the tiers of English football, but I'm sure this is the case around the world, where clubs are just going bankrupt. They can't afford to pay their players because they're not playing mm -hmm. games because of a pandemic, which is understandable. We're in a pandemic. We're still in a pandemic. And it's just, it's, it's so hard to believe that we have this situation where the brain trust of all these big clubs, they don't really care about the nature of the sport. They don't care about what the sport is. They just want their teams to play other big teams. They want Liverpool to play Barcelona six times a year mm -hmm. as opposed to once every six years maybe mm -hmm. and and that's the part that's beautiful about it you don't know if a leicester city is going to make it to the champions league semifinal. it could very well happen but you're mm -hmm. destroying that possibility of an underdog a true underdog story with a super league and it's mm -hmm. like yeah they they offer three qualification spots out of how many teams in europe <laughs> how many teams in europe have a chance to qualify for three spots as opposed mm -hmm. to you know three or four in their own league it's just it destroys the competition from the top all the way down, and it's it's a it's a ticking time bomb, or would have been a ticking time bomb uh, had it had it gone farther than it did. But well, I mean, I think it. I mean, I think it is a ticking time bomb. I mean, you said it, you said it uh, rightly. So, and UEFA is not the good guys. Uh, and you know, look, you mentioned the club's coefficient. Um, that's there. Um, you know, they're always in negotiations to, to get more TV money. And more importantly, you know, lots of clubs and player have players have spoken out against this opposition of this new format. And that is why that this is going to happen sooner or later in my estimation is because there is no way that a competition is in Europe is ever going to be able to give them uh, nearly as much money um, without playing more games. That's the problem. They, they, in this new format, they're, they're getting a lot more money, but they're playing a bunch more games. You know, the players and, and the managers hate that. They don't want to do that. But that's the only way they can get more money. And, you know, the reality of, of the world is that, you know, unless you're the Premier League, uh, where the TV money is so huge, um, you know, that, that cash flow doesn't, you know, exist in, in the rest of Europe. So, um, but I, I think it's also important to point out too, you know, you mentioned the taking away a true underdog story. Um, I, you know, I, I think you hit it right on the nail, but I also think what it, what it, what it really does is, I mean, it just, we can go 
mean, there's so many things you can get to, but you know, it, it's if you, like you said, uh, to expand on your point, um, if you if you take away the qualification, um, it really takes away these clubs' incentive to grow, and it's also just going to hurt the domestic leagues. Like the race for the Champions League spots aren't going to mean anything. The inequality is going to be so great that any hope of of uh, any team winning is going to be gone. I'm sure teams aren't going to care about the league as much anymore. And there's going to be a bunch of meaningless games. And all the cup competitions and all the tournaments, you know, the club World Cups around the world, the the, the country cups, they won't mean shit anymore. You know, mm. they're not going to yep. mean anything anymore if this happens. The big yeah. clubs, like, they, they won't care. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I just think um, the unfortunate situation is this is a ticking time bomb. And so I don't know who's going to, who's going to shove you got, you got, it makes, this is the biggest, you know, you got a public who hates the super league and you got these owners who see no way of, of, of fixing, getting more money that they want. So I, you know, someone's got to give. Yeah. And one of the things that really got under my skin was listening to some of the some of the comments that uh, Florentino Perez had in the the big interview where he had all the statements. It was just the way he went about speaking about we're trying to save football. Mm -hmm. We're Mm -hmm. trying to do what's best for the game long term. We we know that the system as it is right now isn't uh, Mm -hmm. it's not Mm -hmm. um, sustainable. Mm -hmm. And and the way he tried to say all of that with a straight face mm. just it, it it just seems so disingenuous like this man does not care about football he cares about how much money gets lined up in his back pocket by real madrid who by the way are are going to be priced out of the two big names this summer in um Kylian mm-hmm. Mbappe and Erling Haaland they're not going to be able to afford both of them and that's why Perez is mad you know, it, and you heard him even say that. He even said there will be no Mbappe if now Super League. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think he literally and, said that. And that means no no Mbappe for Real Madrid. That doesn't mean it for no PSG. That doesn't mean it for no Man City. That doesn't mean it for Man United. That doesn't mean it for other clubs. It means it for Real Madrid, which means it's a problem in his eyes. Because you know he's, he's a president of Real Madrid. That's his job. But at the same time, he's also notorious for shall we say, uh, not letting managers stay very long. I mean, this is this is the same manager who, after winning Real Madrid, its first Champions League title in 12 years with La Decima yeah. in 2014, fired Carlo Ancelotti the very next season. Yeah. I mean, this is a, this is toxic right. of, the most toxic of all toxic clubs mm-hmm. for, for managers specifically. And that kind of yeah. attitude is you could say it's cutthroat you could say it's competitive but it's just it's not at the end of the day what football is about Mm. it's it's not about just bringing someone in and making sure they they get results and give you money it's about creating clubs that people want to watch creating teams that people want to watch and giving players opportunities to play on the biggest stage but they have to earn those places and with the super league you're just kind of giving it it doesn't make it doesn't make sense by by any account really hmm. no not at all uh, i think um it's the fact like you said on that that fiorentino paris can can speak with a straight face and 
you know, I, I, I'm glad that the fans and everyone can see through the BS. Um, you know, uh, he, whether he really believes these things or, or he's, you know, just, you know, a, 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 a not a good, not a good heart in this situation. Um, it's really sad what he, what he continues to say. And, you know, it's, it's just literally like, this is such a big deal. And it's just like, it really like ruined, like Kevin De Bruyne's tweet, I thought was just amazing where you, he's talking about just ruining the dreams, right? Yeah. All these, all these these guys, right, from around the world, no matter where they're born or whether they're born in Europe, they grow up, they want to they want to go to a European club, and wherever they are, big or small, and and you know qualify for the Champions League or just enjoy the league. And if all the, you know, and and let's be honest here, right? So, with the Super League, like the thing we like the thing we we really have to stress, which you said it right, is, you know. It's not only the demise of the local leagues and the competitions, and but like you said, the money, the money, like the the domestic leagues are gonna lose a bunch of revenue. The Champions League, whatever would that be? That would lose so much revenue. The Europa League would probably fold, and especially this new spinoff of the Europa League, that thing would be gone in a second. Um, so all these guys who have a dream for playing for any club. Um, it would just be 12 clubs that have all the money. Everyone else would be, would be stripped of money. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. so self-serving. And like you said, like, I've never seen, like, it is so, like, be, like everyone but those 12 clubs would lose money so much. And I just, I can't, I mean, like, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the tie to, you know, politics and stuff, but. I mean, it's hard for me to be honest to really like, I mean, you got to really search to find people that are this greedy in their respective Mm. industries. I mean, you know, there are greedy CEOs, you know, politicians, all these people, but this is like relative to their field. I mean, this is right up there. I mean, this is like you're because you're you're gaining money for those 12 and you're wiping out everyone else. Mm-hmm. No, this is this is the worst of the worst when it comes to yeah, corruption and it greed. Be worse a corporate greed, really. I mean, this is you know. Yeah, I mean, well, when you think about it, football clubs are essentially corporations. They're they're not publicly traded. For example, I mean, maybe Manchester United well, is one of the few. This, I'm saying, like, I can't even. But, uh, it's hard to envision even a corporate greed that's not a, re- a regular corporation. Yeah, hurting that many of its competitors like this much, <laughs> like you know. Yeah. So, yeah. There's, I, there's yeah. a lot of layers to the Super League, and I I know as we go along, we're going to talk about it more, yeah. and we're going to get more of a, a picture, a, an idea as to why yeah. this kind of thing is going to come back, and mm-hmm. what we potentially can do, because I know you and I are both big on the, the, the number side of it, the economics of it. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely have an idea of what they're going to come back with, because they're not going anywhere. Para, no. Florentino, Perez, Real Madrid, they're not going anywhere as far as this European Super League. They're going to try to bring it back in different form. By the way. What is this that? binding contract? I, I I don't know what it is. He's probably just trying to stir up some some I mean, can media you attention. If that's the case. Can you imagine if there's a binding contract? I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't make sense to me the whole thing. Let from... me ask you a quick question, on yeah, uh, 
what about this annoys you the most? Is it the ruining, you know, the fairness of competition? Is it the, you know, kind ruining the Champions League? Is it destroying the, you know, local leagues and cups? Is it the, you know, the fact that it would just be boring to to watch a Super League? Uh, what is it about the Super League that annoys you the most out of anything? Well, I think the chief thing for me is that it takes what we love about the sport, which is the competition. It's the kind of any given match idea of the Champions League. And it erases all of that. It it, it takes the idea of a Leicester City winning the league in 2015-2016. It takes that potential of a story. Something like that to ever happen. Not just in England, but any league around Europe. It takes the potential of that and just squashes it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yes, okay, fine. If if another team like Leicester win the league under the European Super League format, then they would probably still qualify for that European Super League. But that's the only condition in which that's possible. What if you have a team like West Ham who's fighting for a Champions League spot? If in the Super League, if they finish fourth in the Premier League, does that mean they, they're guaranteed a spot in the European no. Super League? No. And that's the issue with it. They're taking away the the very competition mm. required to get into the Champions League, to get into the elite competition in Europe. Yeah. And when you take you, when you get rid of that, it, it's like I was saying earlier, it makes you not want to care about individual games because Liverpool's not winning the league this year. So yeah. if they drop two points <laughs> away against Leeds, is it going to matter really in the Super League? No, but in the current format, yes, it matters because Liverpool yeah. now need to really and they, and they they need to win out. It makes the product so great to watch because exactly the race for the Champions League spot is like huge. Like you know, what I mean, they're every game is meaningful. So yeah, all of a sudden, and then when you when you even go further, you say, okay, a team like West Ham who's on the outside looking in for a Champions League spot, they're playing a team that's fighting to avoid relegation. So that right there, you have maybe a fourth place team playing a sixteenth place team, which any other day. Might be, oh, it, it is what it is. But at this point in the season, at the very end of the season, with Champions League on the line for a club like West Ham, who was near the bottom of the league pretty recently, yeah, this is huge. And to get rid of it under the under the Super League format is it's destroying the game as we know it. Yeah, and it, it just doesn't become a game anymore. It just becomes a you know twelve teams around the Europe are the only teams that really matter. And I know, yes, it's 18 teams total in the competition, 15, three more clubs to be added to mm-hmm. the original 12 plus three more that can qualify. But how many clubs can qualify the cha- for the Champions League just by being in their domestic leagues? Let me, it's in the hundreds for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's everyone. I mean, everyone. Yeah, you know? and it's, it's ridiculous. In any league, dreams of qualifying for the Champions League. And it's huge for those clubs, even if they don't make a run, just to get in the group stage oh, for money and for... Just pride and passion, man, it means so much. Yeah, like, I mean, think about a club like Hoffenheim in 2016, or 2017, rather, mm-hmm. when they <laughs> they got to the qualifying for the Champions League. And that was, for that for Hoffenheim, who wasn't a big club at the time, and they're, I mean, they're still growing, but they weren't, you know, the established powerhouses of Bayern Munich and Dortmund and, mm-hmm. and even Schalke before, you know, RIP this season. It, mm-hmm. it's it's the whole just it's i don't know it's the idea of just being able to be in that competition or be close to that competition giving you just the the morale boost number one but number two and ultimately the most important thing is the capital gain 
in playing under the lights on a Tuesday or Wednesday night here in the Champions League anthem. Like that is what makes this sport the way it is in Europe. And that's why so many people watch the Champions League final every single year. That's why it's the most watched regular sporting event every single year. I mean, yes, the World Cup has more viewers, but that's once every four years. We're talking about every single year. Yeah. The Champions League draws in two, three, four times as many people as the ones who watch the Super Bowl. Yep. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, yep. you know, obviously there's going to be an American bias in the way it's perceived in this country, but I'm sure abroad it's it's just a nightmare yeah, trying really to make sense be, of this and, and talk about uh, it. And I, I, I think one thing that's important to mention before we move on is, I really do want to mention this, which is that... <laughs> You know, we're under no illusions, obviously, that, you know, sports are just a game. But, you know, the I think that the reality is that, the, you know, I think what's different about football in Europe and in a lot of places within South America and Africa as well, it's really part of the culture. It really blends into, it's really part of the fabric of society. Like, people love supporting their local clubs. Um, they derive the kind of an identity in it, and the the teams really take on the identity of its fans, and they feel such a a sense of pride. Right? They're not, you know, these are not these pro teams like in American sports where, you know, they, it's more of a corporate vibe. I mean, these clubs, big or small, um, it doesn't matter what league they're in. It could be one of the lower leagues in the pyramid or whatever country, right? People love their local clubs. They love the, it's about the fun, the passion. And so, you know, I, I think that there's multiple, it's, you're just to hurt those clubs. These clubs are really, like I said, a fabric of society. So to hurt any club, uh, it's just, it would, it would really, I mean, honestly, like outside of sports, I really think it would hurt people's morale because mm. I, I really think people, enjoy these clubs it's 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 part of people's lives you know just you know so so yeah like uh and and i mean with that being said i mean i should also say that you know i am hoping that the consumers are smarter because obviously you know if we throw the american hat on here right i mean americans are used to these closed leagues they're used to, you know, these corporate vibes, right? Where you know, there's a lot of meaningless games, uh, you know, and 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 there's you know, there's tanking, right? There's tanking in in Oof. you know, f- uh, basketball and football uh, in America, especially teams tank all the time to get you know high draft picks. Um, and I'm glad that you know, and I'm hoping that. The younger generation um, does not change their preferences, and you know, because there, there is, there. I would say they're small, but there is a major. There is a, a a section of fans that you know would probably say, "Well, yeah, like I, I would enjoy just seeing these top teams play every week. That, that's all I really want." You know, the very casual fans. So you know, I'm hoping that those are a small enough minority. But yeah. yeah. No, definitely. And I, I hope when, you know, this is going back to what, what Perez is saying. When he said uh, 16 to 24 year olds aren't watching football anymore, I want to know what kind of data he's looking at because yeah. I, that just to me just does not seem right. 
And I'd be curious to know what, what kind of numbers he's looking at, but I guess that's besides the point. Uh, I want to know what your least favorite part is of this whole Super League. And I, I know we've touched on a lot of the topics yet, but if there's something that we haven't touched on uh, before we go on to actually talk about the existing Champions League, as it is, because we still have to talk about the Champions League. Uh, what, what, I mean, what, what really gets you the most upset about this? Yeah. I think it's just the, it's the fact that, um, the, for me, it's just, it would hurt every other competition but the Super League, as well as the product. Things that people love now, the local leagues, whatever league you're in, the cup competition, this new expanded like Club World Cup format, which is a big deal. Um, the, the race for the Champions League and the Europa League. The fact that anyone can beat anyone on a given day. Um, you know, and, and even now, like, you know, it's, so to me, it's, it's, there's always something to play for. It's a beautiful game. And it would just, for me, it's the fact that it's not as much the dissolution. For me, it's actually more the, it's the fact that all the competitions as we know it, and there's so many of them would just go go defunct, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much. Yeah. And you know, I I I'll just say one last point, which is, which I think is really interesting, which is that, um, when I mentioned like people having a dream, right? Like we all have, you know, not everyone knows what they exactly would want to do, right? But we all have aspirations, and the reality is that, um. People around the world, like I said, um, and it's also an economic thing. Like clubs around the world, you know, want to sell their players to Europe to make money. But everyone, it, it would take away these anyone around the world who has a dream that they want to play in the Champions League, or like they want to play in a, a really cool league. Their dream would would go out of business because it's like if you're not good enough to play at a, a top twelve club, that's it. So any anyone around the world. Who thinks that they can, they who aspire to play, it's like they would have so much less to enjoy in their career. And mm. that for me gets me because, in theory, there should always be that chance, you know? Yeah. No, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That's a really, a really valid point. I think that's one that we're acknowledging somewhat, but not really talking about as much is that it's just the overall product itself. It's not even the competitive nature of it, it's just the game itself. Because, like you're talking about, if, if, Kids at the age of what six through ten in in Europe and around the world, if they're at that age not being noticed and not being deemed good enough to play for, you know, the Big Twelve, uh, Big Fifteen, every, however you want to call it, uh, then their dream just gets shattered. I mean, I think about how many players didn't come up from your Man Uniteds, your Man Cities, your Liver- your Liverpool's. How many how many players didn't come up through big teams? I mean, I. Pretty much all of them. I mean, everyone came up through a small club at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think of guys like Kevin De Bruyne. You think of guys like Bruno Fernandez, Cristiano Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. I mean, Messi is maybe the one example of someone who came from a genuinely gigantic club and mm-hmm. is still there. But that's literally the one example out of how many. And it's it's just it's you know it. I don't know if there's a good way to, to to put it other than it's just it it's killing the sport. That's the Super League is killing the sport, not the sport itself. The sport itself is 
is being killed by a pandemic, but mm -hmm. everyone is being killed by a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Literally millions of people are being killed by a pandemic. And I, I think that's mm -hmm. the, the tone deaf part uh, of, of Perez's whole yeah, point isn't of that, view. Isn't that crazy? It's just like he, in the midst of a pandemic, you should be more generous, not uh, less generous. Yeah. No, and it's it's just I want to read again that statement because it just it's I read it and I was like this has to be an onion article this can't be real, <laughs> I mean the statement it's it's literally this is something straight out of uh, the the Reagan era school of right. thought it's he says and again uh, I said this earlier but here it is it cannot be that in England the six lose money and fourteen make money okay what let's keep going in Spain the top three lose money and the others make money uh. Okay, sure. It cannot continue. At the moment, the rich are those who are losing money. So what mm. he is saying when he says those words is that I don't care about teams that are not named Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid in Spain. I don't care about you. I don't want you to, I don't want you to make money. I want you to lose money. And I want, yeah. I want to make money. Which, yeah, sure. Everyone wants to make money in a sport where there's billions of dollars of revenue at stake. But that doesn't necessarily mean that someone else has to be losing all of that money and that it's concentrated in the top three clubs in one country. In England, it's a little better because it's six, but it's still a pretty a significant gap between six and seven through 20. And that trickling down to the, ch the championship, League One, and then you go to Italy and France and... It's it's a nightmare across the board, and I'm just I'm just glad that it died as quickly as it it kind of you know quote unquote came to fruition. And nothing really happened, and no one played a game, but there was pretty significant uh, movement towards towards that uh, that scary reality of European football being just demolished. Yeah, I, I think you you hit it right on the nail. It's uh, that quote, man. I mean. I just don't. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And and by the way, I should mention that it's very selfish in the sense that it's almost by his own doing that the. I mean these these clubs are in big debt. You know I, you know so, like when you read that quote, it's like well, I mean, if there's a reason you're in debt. Right? Yeah, it's so, like, like who's who's paying Aiden Hazard's wages? Who's paying? Cristiano oh, okay. Ronaldo's wages. Who's paying Messi's wages? Oh, and you. The fact that, think about these. It. The, these clubs are paying their wages. The fact that Barcelona can earn a billion dollars in revenue or more per season, literally, you know, and and be in massive debt, like that's crazy, you know. Yeah, someone's someone's books aren't being balanced properly, and you know we could blame this on money from. Uh, money from the Middle East, money from Russian oligarchs. We could yeah. blame this on so many different sources as to why it is the game the way is the way it is. You could talk about the Neymar transfer, sure. You could talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. You could talk about Real Madrid. <laughs> you could talk about Manchester. You could talk about every big club that has spent significant amounts of money just on transfer fees alone, not to include agents' fees, wages, etc. And you could have a, a valid argument as to to why it is the way it is. But again. It goes back to one of those points of why does Real Madrid need to have five players who all cost say a hundred million euros? No, they don't. I mean, let's let's be reasonable as far as what clubs are able to do. I mean, not every club can be owned by a Sheikh Mansour or like no. by the crown prince of 
of what is it saudi arabia or not saudi arabia um uae whatever it is with psg and man city two of the the big abu names dhabi, I think. abu dhabi yeah so there's there's a lot of you know i guess there's there's something we got to figure out as far as why why florentino perez has any say in anything across across europe i will mention that um I mean, it really does seem like Fiorentino Perez and Agnelli from Juventus. Mm. They're the two. From all the reports, they're kind of the two. And you could, I, I don't think the Glazers were quite at their level, but yeah. you know, they were kind of just along for the ride. But it seems uh, like those two really spearheaded the project. Yeah, I think, uh, I think John Henry had a pretty big say in that as well. And, and as a Liverpool fan, it's, it's just it's disgusting to think that the guy who, who leads FSG who brought Liverpool from the brink of administration in 2010-2011 to winning the Champions League in 2019 and the first Premier League title in club history and the first top-flight title in 30 years could basically sell out the soul of one of England's most storied clubs because he wants to turn a profit. I, I gotta be honest. Liverpool's involvement surprised me because anyone, okay, anyone who, who knows, who's been a fan of the Red, who knows the Red Sox, knows that that John Henry and Werner are really 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 greedy. I mean that's the, yeah. the worst kept secret for a long time. But um I not from a greed perspective, but I would have thought that they would would have uh read the situation better because you know uh as, as greedy as John Henry is and he's always been <laughs> as an owner of the Red Sox I'll tell you that. Um he is a smart guy. And very smart guy, and so I, you know, I'm surprised that he would make a mistake like that. Ah, yeah. If you want to call it a mistake, no, no, no. I, I get what you're saying. I think the indica- the indication that I was getting from reading a lot of it is that guys like John Henry and your your Roman Abramoviches, your uh, Daniel Levy's, they knew what was going to happen from the fans. They knew exactly what the fans thought of it because they're, you know, they're the ones who's closest to how fans interact with the club, right? They're the ones who basically run the show. And they, they basically said, well, the fans are going to be unhappy about it, but they're still going to watch their team. They're not just going to turn their back on someone on, on a franchise, on a club that's been part of their lives or their whole life. Like their whole lives revolve around Liverpool or Arsenal or Tottenham or people's, Entire life revolves around whether or not fabric these society. teams win at the weekend. It's, it's fabric society, yeah. And it's it, to to so, to yeah. have that to have it be one of those situations. Like I get I get the confusion as the, in the in the kind of like why how can this happen to like Liverpool? They know full well they just don't care. So then what's the? But this is why I don't understand. This is like the weirdest thing. One of the weirdest things I can ever understand. So I agree with you. These guys are not dumb. So, why did they pull out too soon? I mean, like, like what? Like, there's something we're missing because they're clearly too smart. But if they knew this was going to happen, then why did they back out so soon? But then it's too hard to believe that they would be too dumb to actually be like surprised. So I can't figure out why this, like, like. Clearly, there's something that they, you know, there's something that they missed expectations or something because otherwise, 
nobody would make a big decision like this and then just pull out in a day or two. Yeah. I'm very surprised. I don't, I don't really know what to make of this. No, it's, really it's a head scratcher for sure. And, and the only thing that I could say to really speculate on, on yeah. how, how it dissolved as quickly as it came to fruition is basically they, they understood that there was going to be some sort of PR disaster. I don't think they anticipated it or they they cared little enough for for the size of the the debacle that it was to really <laughs> impact everything. I mean, you have how many stories on social media people burning jerseys, yeah, uh cutting up season tickets and just refusing to, you know, saying that they'll refuse to watch the club ever again. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just you wonder if at some point it was a bargaining chip, but that gets thrown out the window pretty quickly because then you you read about the steps that have been taken to put this league together. It's not just a it's not just a bargaining chip with UEFA. This is literally a group of owners coming together and deciding to be as greedy as possible. This is serious, yeah. No, this is very serious. It, it was a very serious thing. It's not a bargaining chip, right. and we'll we'll learn about it in the next few years as far as you know how how it dissolved as quickly as it did. But for right now, I think there's, you know, there's a sigh of relief around the world that world football is staying the way it is for now. How but, many years do you think this list comes back? Oh, this could easily come back next summer. Yeah. I, I think this summer, if there's a big transfer, if, if Holland or Mbappe switch clubs, I mean, it, both of them are probably are rumored to want to switch. But if they both move, then I think next summer we could very well have a a gigantic push for a Super League. And this, it, it'll come from more players. And, and it, it'll make sense next summer as well, because next summer is the summer before the World Cup. And, you know, that's assuming that the World Cup in, in Qatar in 2022 goes as planned. But that, you know, that's, that's uh, again, corruption in sport is not a new right. thing. This is not new to any of us who, who watch the sport, but it yeah. is still... The way this one came about is still, I think, a little jarring for a lot of people. And we're still kind of dealing with the, the ramifications of it. I mean, nothing's happening, but we're yeah. still kind of talking through it. I mean, hell, you and I are talking about it, and the, the announcement was what, last week? Did last week? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think that this is always going to be in the back of their mind, I mean, our mind. I mean, I'm never going to feel comfortable that this is not going to come up or, or happen yeah. at some point. Right. And I think if it's not, I'll just say, if it's not next summer, Watch the complaints come in when the new Champions League kicks in. Oh, it's yeah. going to be uh, like, watch what happens when they've got to play like 10 games in the group stage. Ugh. And uh, it's, like, the format's going to be a nightmare. And uh, give it, give it two years, give it two years. And mm. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's too much, I think, that too much that, that can really happen without, without it coming to a head again. Without without yeah. this whole thing coming up, they can't up again. fix the problems that exist. Yeah, right. Now. right. They're they're fixing the symptom, not the problem itself. Yep, that's so. a perfect way of putting it. But you know, the problem would be solved with uh, things like financial fair play actually being enforced. Well, uh, okay. Looking let's, at you, Manchester uh, City. Well, let's. Uh, I mean, well, <laughs> depends what you mean. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, that, honestly, that that's actually really interesting. But uh, I don't. I mean. That may might want to make them go to the Super League, right? If they really crack down on financial fair play, mm -hmm. I mean, even though it's like putting them more in debt, I mean, 
these big clubs want all the power they can get. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's like, fuck. Like, imagine if, um, like, the Champions League ban for PS or uh, Man City had happened. Hmm. That would have been a great excuse to go to the Super League, right? They're like, yeah. what? Fuck, we're not even in the, we're not even in the Champions League. We gotta go. <laughs> yeah. We gotta yeah. Go. That is something, but. Yep. I'm just glad it's not going ahead as planned and, you know, that Liverpool throwing away uh, the chance to play in the Champions League next season is actually well and truly just factual and not just, you know, for all for nothing. Because, you know, what's what's having, uh, you know, a nice gold crest on your badge saying that you're the defending Premier League champions? Um, what What's better than that? What's better than, um, you know, throwing that away? And and not playing even Europa League next next uh, next season yeah. as it as it stands right now they're struggling to play Europa League which is sad but you know eh, the price you pay for for having uh, Virgil Van Dyke and Joe Gomez and Joel Matip and yeah. you know so many injuries throughout the season and then losing your captain and you know yeah, yada yada awesome. yeah we talked about the Liverpool woe is me a lot I'm not going to bore you all with that again well yeah no I mean they're I mean they're struggling there there's a lot of reasons I think but you know yeah it's uh, pretty crazy but that then again like that's the beauty of of these leagues right there's mm-hmm. always something to play for and so yep. you want to play for those europa league spots like man like liverpool is not gonna be easy for them nope you no know? like yeah like you know west ham can you get in there you know and there's all these clubs you know everton like geez like everton uh-huh. so you know no and and the only thing that would prevent the season from being a complete and total disaster for liverpool is if they finish below everton they finish below Everton, then I, I don't know how I'll be able to live with myself. Well, go from winning the league one year to to I mean finishing it below like, the, it the blue like shit for about a half a season that uh, Everton could really challenge for the top four. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, well, I will see what happens with that. Truly, but yeah. Thankfully, thankfully, we still have the Champions League, Willie, and we had some pretty yep. we had some pretty tasty fixtures this week, and and next week the return fixtures are gonna are pr- are promising to be even better. Uh, let's start with uh, let's start with your team. Let's start with Chelsea and Real Madrid. So, yeah. on the balance of play, I thought that was a very fair result for Chelsea. Uh, I thought they they came into to into Madrid with a good game plan. They stuck to it. And Golo Conte covers every blade of grass as he always does. Yeah. Um, it just you know you could you could take so many angles to look at this game. You could talk about Christian Pulisic mm-hmm. becoming the highest American goal scorer or the top goal scorer in yeah. the Champions League for an American, which is which is not a high bar. It's, it's five goals is the, the the highest. That's that's not a high bar. Let's let's make no mistake here. Um but you, you think of of what could have been with that game. I mean it could have been three or four for Chelsea. Yeah, I mean I think um I mean the good news for Chelsea is that, you know, they are they do. They have gone in that that fourth spot in the Premier League. So, potentially losing the tie, they could still qualify for the Champions League next season um, after beating West Ham, which is um, you know a, a big that was a big win. Um, yeah, but I I agree. I you can't help but think that with a team like Real Madrid, uh, that you really they Chelsea really, I mean. People talk about it, but you know that Chelsea really blew its chance to really end the tie. I mean, they could have. Mm. I don't even say end the tie, but you know, made it really difficult. Um, you got to take your chances. Uh, yep. 
uh, I mean, I don't want to sound too simple here, but, you know, Timo Werner, I mean, we're getting really, you know, he scored against West Ham, big goal in his defense. Um, and it was a good finish as well. Um, but, uh, man, um, you know, there, there's uh, right now, look, to be honest, the way Tuchel has set up the team um, with how defensively solid they are, with how well, you know, they talk about in this game, how well they played without the ball, how well they press, how organized they are. Um, they're really just missing, uh, you know, uh, a consistent kind of front three with, a, you know, a forward and those two guys behind in the system. Um, but, you know, obviously Mount has played incredibly this season. And, you know, Pulisic, when he's healthy, I mean, is really, really, really good. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really just that one position. Um, and so, yeah, on the balance of play, I mean, they took a, you know, uh, they they were the much better team so um, in the first half. So, um, yeah, they got to be really disappointed um, that they, you know, they wasted that opportunity. Yeah, I know Guillaume Balague, the um, the CBS um, correspondent who was at the game in Madrid, he was saying it really could have been three or four. And for them to come away with one is is difficult for for Chelsea fans to kind of swallow because they know the quality of Real Madrid. Yeah. I mean, it's Zinedine Zidane is, is a world-class manager. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely got it wrong in my initial assessment of him. And, you know, the reason they won the Champions League uh, in 2018 was down to the superstars, not necessarily the manager, but it takes oh, yeah, a really good manager. Yep. It takes a good manager to be able to get the tactics and the man management right, and he knows how to do both. Um, plus, he, I mean, he's one of the world's all-time greatest players. He he knows what it takes to win big competitions and big games. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chelsea fans, they have to have that in the back of their head in the return fixture. They know that Zidane is yeah. a great manager. They know that Real Madrid regardless of of who's on their team, will always have great quality up and down the pitch. Um, Their midfield three, which people were talking about being aging and out of it, Pony Kroos, Luka Modric, and Casemiro have been insanely important to this team in their last two games in this competition. They were everywhere, or actually the last three, really. Both, Both legs against Liverpool, they were everywhere, every single one of them. And the second leg against Liverpool specifically, they were massive in yeah. in keeping a clean sheet which is really all they needed um yeah. and so i guess the the one thing is we're set up for a very very interesting 90 minutes and honestly it, it, this is as close of a toss-up as you can get i agree i i don't see anything to split these two sure i mean Other we can realistically see the away goal that chelsea got uh-huh that that that's, that could be the difference, right? Um, but who's to say that Real Madrid don't nick one and and yeah, and it end up being one one at Stamford Bridge for sure, and go to I extra mean, time. Think, and... um, well, it'll be interesting. I mean, first of all, you got I think Federico Valverde is a really good player. He'll mm-hmm. be back for that game. Yep. But now you got Marcelo going to like election duty. Yeah. So he might not be able to play. Uh, that's nice. Um, but you're right, Owen. I think um. Zidane's a world-class manager. There was so much talk on La Liga TV early in the season. Like they said, he had one or two games to mm. turn around the team. You know, here they are, right in the middle of the La Liga race. Um, like you said, I mean, they have these aging guys. Casemiro has been one of Zidane's favorites 
you know, throughout his time, whether his first spell or now, um, you know, didn't have his best game. But, you know, they, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it's very close. I mean, I think that the, um, I think the thing that's that's um, really hard for Chelsea, to be honest, um, is Kareem Benzema is mm. so good. I mean, he is like the last like three years, four years, um, really ever since, right, really, you know, the last couple of years that Ronaldo was there and ever since he left. I mean, he's, you know, maybe not quite a Holland or a Lewandowski, but he's, he's very, he's, he's right behind. And, you know, it's frustrating from a Chelsea perspective that you can press great, you can win the ball back, you can break Real Madrid's press, but in the, in just one, you know, Kareem Benzema could take a half chance and score a goal or he Mm. very easily like Chelsea be the better team. Right. But they don't have a margin for error. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe, you know, Mendy makes a cross or, you know, someone clips a ball into him and he scores. So I mean, that's exactly what record. I don't know his stats, but, uh, it's a ridiculous number of goals that he, he scored the last like five years. I think he's fourth all time in the champions league in goal scoring. It's incredible behind Messi, Ronaldo and Robert Lewandowski. I think he's one of the most underrated players of all time. He definitely is. And he, he, the, the sad thing is even before Zidane came back for his second stint, there were rumors that he was going to be sold by, Mm -hmm. by Perez that he wasn't good enough to be, Mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't good enough to play for Los Blancos and he wasn't a Galactico. He wasn't a quality of Real Madrid, you know, like all of a sudden we're talking about him as being one of the most important players in a semifinal of a champions league against a a team that has found Uh incredible form since they've changed managers and hired uh, Tomas Tuchel. It's the the amount of disrespect and and just just hate that that Benzema gets. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. Well, it really know, doesn't. There was a lot of you're right. There was a lot of talk um, when he first cuts Real Madrid, and uh, overall, like you said, that he'd be sold. You're right, and I think it's you know it's because he he does more than score goals. You know he he he's great in the air. He and he's really good movement. And he really links up well with the other guys. I mean, him and Ronaldo, he, he Ronaldo loved playing when Benzema was the center forward. Mm. Um, and, you know, and people would, even back then would say, oh, well, uh, why is Higuain? I mean, right, because Higuain's a natural goal scorer, but they loved Benzema. Like, Benzema works hard. He also works hard in defense. Um, and, yeah, I think, <laughs> you're right, Owen. I, I think that his his influence He's just, I mean, he's just a world-class player. And um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's incredible. He's absolutely incredible. Yeah. yeah. Fourth all-time in the Champions League in goal scoring. And I'd love and, to see, I mean, his domestic record too. Because, I mean, he's scoring 20-plus goals, you know, last five, six years. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's, look, at his, let's, get, let's look at his goal scoring record for the folks at home. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's absurd almost. And the amount of flack they get. This this is just in the league. For Real Madrid, he's played in 378 games and scored 190 goals. Yeah. Uh, for those keeping score, that's good. That's really right. good. That's almost a goal every other. Like that's said, more than a goal every not, other game. And he's not just a goal scorer. He does more. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's <laughs> heck, that's that's incredible, right? Yeah, and and that's that's just your goals. And and for all those years, you think he joined Real Madrid at the same time as uh, Kaká, the same transfer window as Kaká. Oh. <laughs> so he's played with Ronaldo, Kaká, uh, Modric, Kroos, Bale. I mean, Di best Maria, player. Ozil. Yeah. He's played with the best players in the world and some goal scorers who are number one on the list, Ronaldo. And he's right up there in the Champions League. And that that's it's absurd to consider the, the amount of of disrespect that he gets. And and the fact yeah. that people don't rate him because, you know, he's not he's not flashy like Ronaldo. He's not, no. you know, two goals every game like Messi, uh, at least what it feels like to Barcelona fans. It's just, but he, he, he does everything you need a center forward to do yep. at a, an acceptable, more than acceptable rate for one of the top teams in the world. Yeah. And, and so why people don't respect him like they do the, you know, the other big, big names. It's just a mystery to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah I can't figure it out either. And I think it's, I, I, I think it's because he, like I said, like he, I, I really think that during the Ronaldo years, and you know, I, I like like La Liga. I, I think he just he was kind of a foil. You know, Ronaldo mm. got all the attention, and Kareem Benzema was really focused on being in the partnership, finding the right places in the box, finding space, doing hold up play, and I think it's just because you know he's focused on doing those little things that matter, and he's not purely just focused on scoring goals. He's also not the most flashy guy when he has the ball at his feet. Mm-mm. So, you know, he 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 knows how to be a pure center forward. And those players are so valuable because how you link up with the, with the rest of the guys, right, is just, mm-hmm. just incredible, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I mean, like, Vinicius is a really good player. But, I mean, if Eden Hazard could ever stay healthy, I would love to see, you know, him... Hazard making those runs, you know, sliding those three balls to Benzema, you know, crossing the ball to him. I'd love to see that. Yeah. I mean, when when he initially made the transfer to Real Madrid from Chelsea, I said he's going to score 30, 40 goals a year in La Liga easily, but he hasn't been healthy. And yep. now it's seeming like that prediction is looking even worse because not only is he not healthy enough, but he has to share a ball, share a team with the fourth all-time leading goal scorer in the Champions League in, in Benzema. Yeah, well, <sighs> it's... What, what yeah. could be for Real Madrid fans? You, you have to think, wow, this is, this is where they are. Think about what they could be, and this is without Ronaldo. Yeah, I mean, look, Zidane's done a, mar- a masterful job. You know, say what you want about, you know, La Liga in terms of Real Madrid and Barcelona are a little bit down, but I mean, they're right there for the league title. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. they'll win it, but um, it's an incredible job. He he took a team, like you said, that they were worried that was aging and a lot of veteran players too. And, you know, with Veron and Ramos, there's talk is Ramos going to leave the club, you know, you know, and, and so it's, he's dealt with all these like moving parts in a, uh, a brilliant fashion. Yep, yeah. I I agree. I agree. There's a lot of a lot of praise to be heaped on Real Madrid um, for yeah. for the job for where they are as a club right now, and that's obviously in spite of 
of their yeah. president doing, you know, doing what he is, what he's doing. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. The other fixture in the Champions League semifinals, though, this one is uh, oof. How do you even describe this one, Willie? Because in in one word, uh, I just call it money. That that's all this game is. It's just money versus money. Yeah. No. Um. For sure. Um. Okay. Here's a comment I have on. I mean, I do, like, I'll say this. I think that, I think that, um, I think that there's something, I don't know what it is about uh, Manchester City, you know, this time around. Um, this is not Manchester City's best team, in my opinion. I mean, I think the team that won 100 points um, won the Premier League going away with 100 points, 100 plus points, was like maybe the best team. Uh, it was up there with my lifetime, like the Pep Barcelona team, like that, just like ridiculously good. Um, you know, or to some extent, even last year's Bayern team. But yeah, I mean, to to come back. Uh, from one zero down, I mean, it it tells you a lot about them, and I, I don't know what it is, right? It, they they, we can talk about the the plays in the game, or you know how good a player Mares or De Bruyne are, you know, but the or you know how well how good Ruben Diaz is as a defender, but um, man, like just this old city, I mean, right? They might have fold. Right? Remember, remember how they looked against Lyon? I mean, they just looked awful. Right? So, I, you know, yeah, I, I was just, after the way that PSG played in the first half, they passed the test. That was the true test. You're playing a team, a fantastic team in PSG, who is right there, maybe the second best team in this competition, outplays you in the first half badly. Has you on the ropes, has all the attacking players firing, and you come back and score two goals in you know seven eight minutes. Very very impressive. Yeah, and we could talk about the the goals City scored being uh, mistakes by Taylor Navas. We could talk about it just being just the individual brilliance. But I think the one thing you have to give Pep and his team credit for is just the way they're able to make those adjustments at halftime and and go back into it. Because we we know Pep, and he has this reputation of being a serial overthinker, especially in big games. Oh. Uh, I don't think there was a lot of, of, of thought that went into it because the quality of the players he has and the way he has them playing and the way he knows how to coach them, I think it, it wasn't ever a doubt as far as, you know, could they come back and, and get a, a good result out of it? I think the big thing was just, can they... Can they do what we expect them to do? And what we expect them to do, Man City, is win the Champions League with a squad that's expensive as it is and with players as talented as they are. I don't think there's any any real indication that they're not good enough to win the Champions League. And they they showed that's the attitude right there. That that's the attitude that that champions have. So Willie, with this Man City team, I think we have a pretty good understanding of of what the missing ingredient was. 
uh, as far as those teams. Like you mentioned, the team that looked lifeless against Lyon last summer mm-hmm. and a couple years ago against Tottenham and a couple years before that against, uh, I think, uh, Liverpool, actually, and then Monaco before that. Uh, why they yeah, haven't, with their right. resources and with the quality in their squad, why, why they haven't been able to get over the hump. I think it's it's now the the players they have in the squad, coupled with the expectation that this is the next step, coupled with just Pep taking a step back almost. And because usually we talked about Man City, and I want to pick on the, the own game specifically. Tactically, what what Pep did in that game was he went to a back three which they had not played almost ever. And in a semifinal, a one-game elimination of a Champions League in a new format, granted, I mean, would they have won if it was, uh, if it was two legs? I don't know, or the quarterfinals, rather. To, to go to a back three, to do something that you think is going to pay dividends rather than sticking to your guns and sticking to what got you there in the first place, that, I think, it became their downfall. But yesterday or uh, two days ago against PSG, or sorry, yesterday against, um, against PSG, I, I, didn't, I didn't see any indication at all that there were any tactical changes. This, this felt like exactly the same city that would go out and play you know, your Man Uniteds, your Chelsea's, your Liverpool's, your, your other big English teams. Um, and that, I think, is the ultimate uh, test, is can they get out of their own way? Because, yes, we, we know... We know they're going to score goals. We know how good they are defensively. It's can they put it all together in the big moments? And I think yesterday we got a pretty significant answer uh, sure. as to what the result might be. I think also, Owen, I, I, I really think that, you know, I know it's maybe a simple thing, but I think a lot of it, it's tactics. I definitely agree. And Pep just experimenting, putting out new tweaks. Same thing happened at Tottenham. Um, the defense. Hmm. I mean, if you go back, like you said, 2017 against Monaco, now that Monaco team, I mean, was, to be honest, was loaded. I mean, they had Fabinho, they had Bernardo Silva, they had Lamar, they had Mbappe. They had, I mean, six or seven players that went to, like, top clubs. Mm. But, you know, you allow um, six goals over the course of two games, then, you know, <laughs> that's pretty leaky defense. Uh, next year, right, when they play Liverpool, uh, you know, Liverpool thrashed them the first game, I think 3-0, not yep. mistaking, and then they, they beat them twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then against Lyon, just three, like, bad mistakes, pretty much. Um, so, you know, like, just, and against Tottenham, I mean, they allowed they allowed goals there, too, that they shouldn't have allowed. So I think part of it's also the, the defense, and, you know, having Ruben Diaz play really well helps, and to have a stable center back partnership really helps. Mm. Um, and, you know, part of it's just the, you know, like I said, the, the confidence in the defensive stability, because in the past with Man City, you always felt that as good as they were on the right day, they'll have a leaky defense and you can get them. No. So, you know, that, that's, um, you know, yeah, you allow a goal, but overall with Man City this year, I mean, you feel so secure with their, their back line. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. They're like they're on their. I mean, I never thought that I would. I never thought that I would say this. Um, I don't know if if you if you thought this, but I mean, Owen, they they've allowed. I looked it up. 
24 goals in the Premier League this year in 33 games. Mm-hmm. That's remarkable. That's like like all-time great defense. Yeah. Seriously. That's it's it's stellar. And stellar. I think it underlines a couple things. Number one, how last season 2020 uh, or 2019-2020 they failed to replace company when he left. Yeah. Um but also in that same breath how important Ruben Diaz has been as a signing. And yeah. to me, him coupled with John Stones learning how to not be John Stones has been one of the biggest turnouts because we always knew John Stones was great with the ball at his feet. Mm. It was sometimes the positioning yeah. and sometimes the the defensive IQ. But he's turned that around. He solved that. I don't know what yeah, changed. Know. Well, Maybe someone got through to him and said, you need to learn how to defend first. You're going to be good with the, You're not going to forget how to be good with the ball at your feet. You got to defend first. Yeah. I, I think it's just, it's, there's just a couple minor things that have really changed how mm-hmm. how solid this city team can be, and yes, there's still another leg to go. PSG could very well snatch a two 0 win, uh, or a, a two, or you know, they could very well snatch a win. I think they have to score, they have to score three times now. That's right, because it is it's three one on aggregate. Um, they have to, they could very well do it. You never know. I mean, stranger things have happened in in sport before, but realistically, I think this is this is now. City's best opportunity to not only go to their first Champions League final, but to win their first Champions League. Yeah, I agree. And yep. I, you know, as much as I don't want them to, I think this it it just underlines to all of us again, and this you know this reminds yep. us all why Pep Guardiola is as good as we say he is. Um, now, yep. you know, it, it always begs the it, it begs the question: Could he do it at a mid-table club? Could he do it at a team that doesn't have the resources? We don't know, but we're never, we're never going to know with Pep Guardiola because he already is such an established manager at the highest club, he's never going to go to a mid-table club and bring them to the top. He's just not going to do it when he can manage any other team in the world that he wants to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think that this is definitely their best chance. But, I, you know, I think that John Stone is a great example. I think what makes Pep Guardiola a fantastic manager is, you know, forget, say what you want. But, I mean, he really gets a lot out of the players he has. Uh, I mean, he he's improved so many individual players, or just elevated, which is a thing I think that's very underrated. I mean, it, he he really does get the lot out of his player, right? And so, you know, that I think is also what makes Pep Guardiola so much managers. I mean, you look at a lot of the players on on Man City, and and it's the same at the other clubs he's had. He he made them better. Mm-hmm. He really yeah. made them better, and I think, and so. You know, while while you know, other managers may really find a, a you know a pl- they they find a system and plug players in the system like Pep Guardiola like genuinely makes the players better. Mm-hmm. They become better. You know. Yeah. So that's although the- to be fair, he also does plug players into his system and and right. He, but he has them do, do what he wants to. But but yeah, no that that doesn't take away from from how good he is at making other players better. I mean, you think yep. of how good he's made Raheem Sterling, who couldn't oh finish anything, couldn't finish a sentence, yeah. let yep. alone score goals. And yet here he is turning into, you know, a solid goal scorer. Now, he has he has lost a little bit of that and and let's be perfectly clear, the only reason Raheem Sterling's numbers were so good uh in, you know, the first couple seasons under Pep <laughs> is because he has enough pace to just get in really good positions. It's like the Salah effect. You think Salah would score this many goals if he didn't get 
as many chances as he gets. He, get, he gets at least five good chances a game, but he only converts maybe one. And, right. and that's the difference. It's, it's, it's things like that that have made Sterling so much better, is that he, Pep has, had, has kind of opened his brain to where he is supposed to be and how he's supposed yeah, to he's, he's be with and without the ball. Yeah, that's, he, it's, he, it's right. He, he puts him in the right spot. And I will say that he, while he's still not the best, he has gotten a lot better at finishing. He has. He has. I will concede that. He has gotten a better finishing, but he's still not a world-class finisher. No, he's a world-class not player, finish. not a world-class finisher. Let's, let's make no him. mistake there. Yeah. Salah's also not a world-class finisher. That's, that's, <laughs> I want to make that abundantly clear to everyone. Right. He's, he's, Salah still needs to get better as a finisher. Like it, uh, if you watch a Liverpool game through and through, like an average Liverpool performance, he's going to have at least three goals he should score every game. And just doesn't. I will say this in his defense, bro. The the shots that he gets aren't like um, you know, because he's a winger, he he doesn't get those center forward chances, right? Where the mm-hmm. ball is like crossed to him and they're like in front of the goal as much. Yeah, you know, he's either cutting in or he's in behind, and it's like I will just say in his defense, those are a little harder. Yeah. But, you know, I'll give you that, but but those are chances that world class finishers take. Should, should, are, should make. are they not? No, no, they're right. and, and you I know, know. I will that's, say this uh, on on this note is really interesting. Yeah. Um, I genuinely do think that Christian Pulisic can be an amazing player. He has literally like, I know people will throw around the Hazard comparisons. I, I'm telling you, as a Chelsea fan. I, I like I watch Pulisic very closely, and I mean, ever since he's been on Chelsea, like with the ball at his feet, and he's not only so good, he's so good at making runs. Like he he's so good at running in behind. He's so good at at bursting into the box, trying to find that space, trying to you know run into the middle. He he's always in the middle of the field. Trying to, you know, in the box, we're trying to gather the ball. I mean, this guy, this Lampard always talked about he needed the end product. But, mm. um, I mean, I think that Pulisic, I mean, if he could stay healthy, I mean, I really do think that he can be, you know, I- I'm telling you, I'll just say this. It's hard to get to the level of even Hazard. You know, Eden Hazard was, you know, PFA player of the year and just incredible. But even Hazard, in my opinion, Hazard was a different player. But Pulisic really, he's like Jordan Spieth. He has these magic moments. Mm. Hazard was so good at at getting the ball and kind of weaving through the defense and playing through balls and, and facilitating. But the things that Pulisic can do, like with the ball, are just like really, really special. Like, there's not many players in the world that can do it. Mm. So, I mean, it's really, really impressive. And I, I think he's just like anytime you know he can, he's got, he can be a world class player. I mean, he really mm. can. No, I agree. And I, I don't think there's a lot of people who, th- who thoroughly disagree with you. Um, I think there's a lot of people who really, who still kind of under underestimate his quality. Salah is actually a pretty good comparison, to be perfectly honest. To, to, um, explicit. In and just the his style, or or as far as in, in what sense? Um, in in my opinion, in what he could aim for. Hmm. That's a pretty I, lofty 
lofty uh, standard, but you know. Yeah, we'll I see. Know it's a very low standard, but I think he we'll could see. aim for for Mosella. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, really quickly before we move on to this side of the pond to talk about America's pastime, right. uh, who goes to the Champions League final? Who wins the Champions League? I think Chelsea go through. Uh, Manchester City win, beat Chelsea in the final. Yep, I have the same thing. I have um, Man City, Chelsea in the final, and um, but but it is going to be close with Real Madrid though. I think it, it'll it'll be oh, a very yeah, sure. very end to end game at Stanford Bridge. I would say that um, for sure. I think whoever gets the first goal has a really good yeah. chance of you know if I mean Chelsea can go through with, with a nil nil draw, but if Real Madrid mm. score a goal, I mean that's going to flip the game on its head. Yeah, for sure. Uh, to be at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday, oof! I, imagine if fans could be in that stadium. Oh. The the atmosphere we'd have from that. Uh, it's it's yeah. just one of those things where this this is such an off year that nothing right. really feels like it should. But ultimately, yeah. you know, this it kind of waters our appetite for when fans are allowed back in 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 mass in Europe. Uh, and, and it's yeah. just it's exciting. I mean, July 1st is when apparently all the lockdown restrictions are going to be lifted in England. Okay. So that's going to be, you know, uh, an eye on the future, perhaps. So yeah. we'll see. But well, yeah. in, in the U.S., we're already allowing fans into, uh, into stadiums to watch baseball games, which, we are. you know, say what you will about it being the right or wrong move. But, you know, Willie, yeah. baseball's back. Baseball, baseball is, is back. well and truly back. And yeah. in classic April fashion, we have some big surprises. Yeah, we do. And I want to talk about two of them specifically. All of them, hey, both of them in the American League, but two big surprises so go far. Ahead. Go ahead. Uh, number one is the Kansas City Royals. Yeah. At 15 and 8, leading the AL Central by a game and a half over the White Sox. Uh, and this is obviously after play today. Yeah. Uh, the other big surprise is the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. The 16 and 10 first place Boston Red Sox. It's April, sure. But. I mean, if you're a Sox fan, how can you not be excited right now? No, and plus, I mean, they're getting, kind of getting out of it, but I don't count beating Baltimore as the Yankees solving their woes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they did, they did lose today. They are tied for last place still in the yeah, AL East. And so Yankees are right. They're uh, worse than the American League, right? So still, yeah. So, you know. Well, uh, Detroit and Minnesota have that unlock right now. Okay, okay. So well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been great. I mean, gosh, whoever saw the Red Sox coming, you know, I think that it it, it makes sense because, like I said, I mean, they've got some really good players. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, particularly like you know before in the preview talked about you know who are they going to get in the pitching staff? But I mean, you know, you've got Verdugo. Like Verdugo is a very very good player. Obviously, Kike Hernandez has been, you know, he's helped them. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you still got a lot of other very established players, you know, Bogarts, Martinez, you know. So, I mean, yeah, like, I, I think that, you know, I, I think that, it, I mean, I still think Tampa will win the division, but mm -hmm. this is certainly, they at least is shaping up to be maybe the most interesting division in baseball. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's. A lot you can say about the way they've they've been playing in the first month of the season. Uh, I I think the one standout thing for me though is how they're just they're just getting it done with the pitching as well. 
The bullpen yeah. has not been an issue for for the Red Sox as we all thought it was going to be. Right. I mean, we didn't think the lineup was going to be anything spectacular either, but they've scored runs and they've held leads. I mean, they won I think one to nothing yesterday. Uh, they lost four to one today against Texas, but you know they they had been playing really good baseball up until, up until and yeah. they're still playing well. I mean, they're not just all of a sudden yeah. dropping off a cliff. I mean, obviously. We don't know how they're going to play going forward, but well, after yeah, the first month of the season, this has been a genuine shock. How, and, oh, and how long has Matt Barnes been on the team? No, dude, Matt Barnes has been with the Sox since like, I want to say 2013 or no, 14 or 15. It's been a while. It's been He's a while. been on the team for a long time. And the funny thing with Matt Barnes is that he, like, you, you read up on Matt Barnes, Matt Barnes grew up a Yankees fan, which is just <laughs> hilarious because he is one of the reasons that they, they kind of got, um, they they kind of have knocked the Yankees off, especially in, in 2018, because Barnes was so good. I mean, statistically, he's not great against uh, he's not great against New York, but you know, yeah, he's he's been on the team since 2014, and it it's it's I don't I don't know I don't, I don't know what it is with with Barnes I don't know what it is with the relief core, um, but they're just they it just, they just seem to get it done, and this is all without Chris Sale. I mean, Chris yep. Sale has been on the treatment table for for all of 2020 and into 2021. He hasn't started well, um, a yeah. real comeback yet. Yeah, and I'll say this, Owen: the bullpen is definitely a question, bro. But what I think is like, you know, really, I mean, I will say this: like the Sox, like you said, I mean, Sale hasn't even come back, and you know, the rotation all of a sudden is like, you know, they got you know Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, nice to see him back playing. Mm-hmm. Really good pitcher. Yeah. Still, Avaldi's been fine. They got uh, Pavetta. You know, he mm-hmm. he's seen, he's been well. And and I mean, if they can rediscover something, and and Martin Perez or Garrett Richards, both who've had really good careers. I mean, they've they've both been good pitchers at times. I mean, yeah, you've got a pretty solid rotation. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you're right. They've kind of pieced together the pitching, but the spar the pitching is is held up and. Yeah, pretty pretty impressive. Pretty yeah. impressive. I mean, their their team ERA right now is three six six. Yeah, that's which great. it that's a lot lower than a lot of people were expecting. I mean, I don't think people thought Garrett Richards. I mean, he has an ERA just under five. His WAR is negative point three, but you know, he, he's he's he hasn't been the same since he got hurt, ironically, in Boston a few years ago. Yep. But who would have thought that Adam Ottavino hmm. would be? Doing what he's done. I mean, he, the three eight ERA is a little high, and he hasn't been doing great. Yeah. But you know, he's been well. Everyone collectively is kind of pitching well, and Garrett Whitlock with an ERA of zero, yeah, has been phenomenal. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, Adovino is not surprising. Adovino is you know all star in the past, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, the bullpen, they're really piecing together. You know, does that hold up? Who knows? Uh, but you know. Um, it's, I mean, even, uh, Matt Andres as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, so yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's the biggest, you know, that's one of definitely the biggest questions with the, with, with the team. Is that really going to hold up in the long uh, run? Uh, yep. but man, I mean, it's been a really good <laughs> start to the season, man. It, it's, yep. it is impressive. Um, you know, and, and I will say, like, you know, the thing about the Red Sox, which I think, you know, 
gets overlooked, to be perfectly honest, is, you know, I think that um, the, the Red Sox are a really good organization, right? So, you know, you have, um, you know, you have Verdugo now. You, you got Frankie Cordero uh, from Dominican, right? They got him from Dominican. Um, uh, yes, I think so. He beat him prospect for, he's a prospect with, uh, was it San Diego? Was he? I think okay. it was San Diego. I, I think wrong. it was. A- I thought they. I thought they. They bought him from Dominican League, and he just came over. But um, I believe he came over in a trade. Yeah, he came over in the. Uh, or no, he came over from the Roy- in the. Um, he was in the, uh, the Benintendi trade. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that that's a big deal. Okay. So. So yeah, the point is like they, you know, good organizations discover good players. You know, mm-hmm. that that's something that you know really really helps them. You know. Yeah. And it also doesn't hurt when um, J.D. Martinez, so far, is having an MVP-type season. He's a professional hitter. He's a professional hitter. He's, his slash line right now is 333, yep. 417, 678, with a 1095 OPS. Right, I mean... Uh, that's, uh, that's, it's 24 games, sure, but that's pretty good. Yeah. I I, mean, I'd say that's pretty good. Right, you have no doubt about J.D. Martinez's hitting. I mean, yeah. he is, you know... He he's a like I said he's a professional hitter you know what right. I mean yeah and the the four names that are that you would expect to be hitting and playing well are doing just that um, Alex Verdugo 894 OPS Rafael yep. Devers 928 OPS yeah, we talked about JD Martinez over thousand and Xander Bogarts 901 OPS yeah so these guys are all having you know pretty good right. seasons so far I mean yes it's really early but this is this is encouraging if you're a Red Sox fan. This is very encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, it's it's like you said. I, I think that they look. I don't know what it is, but Owen. I mean, we could talk about last season too, but you remember a couple seasons ago, 2019. That team was loaded with talent, mm-hmm. but they stunk. They were terrible. Yeah. That was the last season of Mookie Betts. That, that yep. had a lot of talent. I don't know what happened to them. So maybe they just, you know, they're re-energized. They got a new group of guys. Well, not mm-hmm. really new group. That's the thing. Like, there's still some holdovers from that team. So it's just so interesting to see this, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that 2019 team was a kind of weird, man. I, I don't know. Yeah. No, yeah. Let's, let's, let's look at the 2019 team right now. Uh, I'm I'm looking at, at yeah. the uh, the numbers for that I team. I mean, obviously, Bogarts and Devers were there, right? Know, so he, <laughs> here was here was their OPS leaders. Uh, David Price with an OPS of a thousand. Two, he was he was one for two uh, with uh, with a ribby and a K. Wow. Um, in 2019, but that's 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 just for fun. Uh, so their OPS leaders: uh, Bogarts 939, Martinez 939, Devers 916, Mookie Betts 915. Mitch Moreland, Mitchie Two Bags, eight thirty five, Vasquez seven ninety eight, and Benintendi seven seventy four. Um, after that, it kind of just goes down from there, uh, and it's not awful, but it's you know it, it, this is not a team you consider to be horrendous. But what was and, the record? It was bad, man. And they they just were not a good team that year. No, um, I'm trying to double check what their uh, the record was that year, but it was not good. Yeah, um, let me see if I can find it. I mean, you know they it, yeah. Like, but the point being, I think that I think you and I are both kind of in agreement that this is not surprising, 
but mm-hmm. it's a yeah, little bit of a like uh huh right. i guess it is okay maybe not not unsurprising but it's it's not it's not something we were going to pay attention to really at the start of the season i mean we i think you and i both kind of dismissed the socks in our uh, in our preview it's just like oh they'll be lucky to win 80 games uh but you know here we are and uh you know the the, the last day of april is uh today by the time you all hear this podcast april 30th uh 29th yeah. as the night we're recording it, it it it's just these things happen in april and that's what makes baseball so fun because it's like it's like in golf, sometimes in a major, you'll see someone who has no business being at the top right. of a leaderboard being at the top of a leaderboard in, in, a, big, in a big situation. It's crazy. Um, like, yeah, I mean, that's but, the beautiful. Yeah. And it's, I feel like it's happening more in this year. I mean, you know, you got mm-hmm. Seattle, you got San uh-huh. Francisco, you got Kansas City. I mean, I wouldn't call Milwaukee a surprise, but Milwaukee's been, you know, great. Milwaukee's very good. I, I don't think there's any, dis- there's any right. uh, not surprise there. I mean, but yeah, no, yeah. That, that's fair. But, but yeah, I mean, it's just, Men, like we've got all these, yeah, and like you know, uh, Oakland's win streak's not surprising, but you know, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's uh, you're right, that's what makes April baseball great. And hopefully, some of these surprise teams can keep it up, like you know, and actually contend for a wild card spot, mm-hmm. yeah. And and you, we talked about the Mariners, and I want to mention the Mariners briefly because we did not talk about them at all in our preview. <laughs> Uh, and that's no disrespect to to the franchise, but you know when you have as many headlines as we did in the off season with the the White Sox and the Yankees and obviously Houston and Oakland, you know you think, okay, well those are kind of going to be it, and and I guess the Angels as well. Just the the, the fact that they had a healthy Otani um, and and Mike Trout when you have the best player in baseball is mm-hmm. you know one of the greatest players of all time, and he's twenty nine. Uh, or 30 you're gonna you're gonna pay attention to that and less so the mariners but the mariners are you know they're around they're here they're not they're good they're they're around they're they're kicking they're They're doing the damn thing they're i mean yeah they're playing really well and and you know they need kyle lewis too they have Uh kyle lewis right and and once he once he gets going i think there's there's something positive um, the one downside, though, is as this happened just today, Marco Gonzalez is going on the injured list with and he's a, talented a forearm pitcher. strain. He's a really right. talented pitcher. But he's, and this is in the first month of the season. This is our third starting pitcher on the opening day roster to go on the injured list. Yeah. That's, you know. So yeah. that's a bit of a worry. I mean, James Paxton's go, he's done for the year. Um, yep. He's going to have, probably going to have Tommy John. Um, but, you know, this is, this is a team that is built to win in the future. Yep. But some of the stuff we're seeing right now is encouraging. And, you know, yep. it, you want them to keep it up because you want to see uh, stories like this, you know, yeah. stories that soccer is trying to root, trying to weed out, you know. No, um, yeah, yeah. Cinderella and, stories, if you will. And I'll say that, you know, as much as I think it's unfair, the second wild card is great for baseball. Mm, I you agree. Know, when back in the days when there was the one wild card, I mean, You'd have maybe two teams fighting it out. Now, like realistically, you can get five or six teams thinking that they've got a chance for that second wild card spot, you know? Mm-hmm. So you never know. Hey, like Mariners, chase it. Chase that second wild card spot. I mean, heck, it's the American League. Like, who knows what's going to happen? So, I mean, we, yeah. we talked about the American the League American being. The American League is just upside down. Uh huh. Being other as wide than, open as it gets. Like, other than. Um, Oakland, <laughs> like you could not have really predicted 
any uh, any really anything. I mean that that that's happened. Um, it's mm. kind of flipped upside down, right? Like it's completely flipped. Other than Detroit being in last place in their division, that's yeah. the only thing you could have seen come. It's although Akil Badu has been a breath of fresh air for for that franchise. I mean, I don't think yeah. they've been as excited about a young player, um, yeah, as they have with with Badu in uh, since good. I think Matthew yep. Boyd's uh, rookie year. Oh uh, well, I mean, a few years ago, bro. Matthew but, I mean, his Boyd's rookie kind year. of a disappointed. Yeah, I mean, he had a good rookie season, but I like yeah. Nico Goodrum. Yeah, Goodrum. I mean, so they have they have you know some some pieces, but it, it's just it's a rough situation for the Tigers. Um, but Akil Badu has been fun to watch. Oh, and trivia and question. What's that? Trivia question. Yeah. Uh, who, what, do you know who the announcer is for um, the Tigers and the Twins? The, like the color announcer on the broadcast? Both the Tigers and the Twins? Uh, he rotates, yep. Oh. Uh, uh, Brandon Inge? <laughs> Brandon Inge? Is he broken? No, no. I, I don't know. That's just a, that's just a random Third guess baseman. from third baseman. Yeah. No. Who is um, it? Jack Morris. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Jack Morris. Yeah, he's been there for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, you learn something every day, folks. So that's what we got to say here. On the... <laughs> yeah, Jack Morris. He's a uh... hot takes only. He sounds very like um, depressed sometimes when he's <laughs> in the broadcast. I mean, do you do you blame him? I mean, both of those teams are struggling. I mean, the Twins, it, it's yeah, that, it's that early. One I see coming. That one it's I early. Coming. I'll give you that, but it's still like you want to see the Twins do well because they've they have this this monkey on their back of not being able to to win a playoff game, and that's just as a fan like that. I know what that feeling is like as a Braves fan, just like watching your team go to the playoffs and and knowing that no matter how good they look, they're not ultimately going to have a chance. Mm. Um, yeah, but you want to see the Twins do well, and it so far has been a struggle. But I think they they have a good enough team to to get around it. Um, Nelson Cruz at the age of forty is still raking. Death taxes and Nelson Cruz hitting bombs. Um, Byron Buxton is very quietly having an MVP type season. So far, yeah, he's. I mean, tattooing the ball. Great player, Fantastic playing good defense player. as he always does. Mm-hmm. And you, um, you never, you never know. I mean, quality. Ultimately, you know, the the saying is "ball don't lie," and that's quality yeah. shines through at the end of the day. Sure. Well, um, yeah, Byron Buxton is a fun player, man. Very, very fun player. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say Buxton is definitely one of the more you know, fun players to watch in the NLV on the on the bright side, right? Mm. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I would say Minnesota. It is early in the season, but but you're right. I mean, this this is not really um, what you want to see with them, especially since you know we know Chicago is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Chicago is you know All up right. to a decent start as well. Yep. So yeah, they got they got their hands full. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's. You want them to succeed and succeed sooner than later, but only only time will tell, I guess. Yeah. With uh, with the twins. Oh, how, here's one for you, quick going. Yeah. Um, because I you're probably gonna want to talk about Kansas City. How about the Pittsburgh Pirates? Five hundred. I mean, honestly, it's it, I I feel like we have a situation where there's always teams that we expect to be garbage, 
And even their fans are like, yeah, we're going to suck this year. And even you know, players, they won't say it, obviously, but the they players don't. kind of know they're oh, not going to be, they're not going to win a ton of games. No, they. <laughs> and there's always a team like that. And that that's Pittsburgh. I mean, and I remember watching them in spring training. Um, they, they played against the Braves and Ian Anderson, which admittedly Ian Anderson had kind of a rough spring training and rough, I think, first couple starts of the season, but he's been dynamite since then. Um, they, they look like a team that could, that is going to be better than people think. And, you know, yeah. did I think they were going to be 300? Or, or not 300, 500? No, but <laughs> I, I, like to be, I like to be wrong about a lot of things, particularly when it comes to baseball, because it, it's like, it's, it's one of those things where no matter how good you think, how much, how, much, how much you think you know, baseball is just so unpredictable. Yeah. And that's, yeah. The beautiful, that's one of the beautiful things about it. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you just hope over the long haul they can keep it up, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, ever I remember they took. I think they took three out of the four from Padres. Mm. Um, I was like, yeah, like this team. Um, you know, they they got some talent for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they, like you said, like they could really, we'll see. Like maybe even make some noise. You know. It's, yep. That's you know, that's a a tough one, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I I um. I have fun fact. I used to watch Gregory Polanco play mm. uh, minor league baseball against Syracuse. Mm. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Little yeah. little bits and pieces of uh, a trivia for you. Yep. Uh, I re- I want to very quickly touch on the Royals and then touch on another and then spend the rest of the baseball segment on another team that you you brought up briefly and a specific player on that team, of course, because you and I have had this discussion for the last week uh, yeah. since Sunday Night Baseball. Or uh, yes, yeah. yeah, it's a Sunday night game. Um, yeah. Or was it? No, it was Saturday against against Bauer. No, it was Sunday. Or was it Sunday against? Saturday. It was Saturday. Yeah, Saturday because Bauer pitched on Saturday, and um, yeah. Sunday was uh, not Sunday. Uh, uh, May Dustin May, May, right? Uh, the Royals. So yeah. this is a surprise to me, but Whit Merrifield is only hitting two eighty six. <laughs> oh yeah, only only two eighty six. Yeah. What is he? With twenty six hits. I mean. He, I think we looked at, at our last last episode. He was just around 300 for his career, maybe like 296. Incredible. But yeah, he's right. just a great. He's just a really good hitter. He's just yeah, you know, he's he's awesome. I mean, he's by far their best hitter um, on the team. You mm-hmm. know, um, I would say with the Royals, their pitching like they got you know uh, Danny Duffy and Jacob Junis, bro. Yeah, who would have thought they'd be the one-two punch? No, they are the one-two punch, man. Um, yeah, who would have thought? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, they uh, they got some good hitters on that team, for sure. Um, they're exciting to watch. They're still very exciting to watch them. Mm-hmm. They're the team I would... Um, they're the team I would be... like. That'd be like the extra innings. I, I w- yeah, I was just about to say, we had that conversation uh, during our previews. Like, who's, who's the extra innings team for you? The team that you would watch? It's the Royals. Royals it's it's really? still the Royals, yeah. I mean, and, they're, and, you know, they're fun. They're, yeah. they're very fun. They're 15 and 8 now playing good baseball. Oh, the, awesome. uh, how long they can keep it up. But, uh, but yeah, but oh, no, sorry, go ahead. I just, no, just want to say, um, I'm sure if you looked at his stats, um, we would see, but um, maybe he just, I think, goes under the radar just because he's in Kansas City. I don't know if you could say an all star is under the radar, but Salvador Perez. Has put together quite a good career for uh, Kansas City, you know. Like 
what five all-star appearances like he's one of the best catchers that in the game for sure yeah, and, and i don't think i don't think a lot of times people talk about his his defense behind the plate good but good. he's one of the best one of he the best. and yadi molina i think are the class of uh now that posey's back the catcher position posey. yeah Posey, I think more offensive. I mean, he's not a bad defensive catcher, but I think offensively is where Posey makes his name. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but as far as the the defensive side of it, as far as yeah. controlling the run game, throwing guys out, and just being the the leader on the team that everyone knows and everyone not everyone knows everyone needs. Uh, yeah. Salvador Perez and Yadi Molina, <laughs> I think, are those two. Well, they know they know him especially because we're talking about him too. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, I I, I agree. This it's. He's he's put together an impressive career, and if he makes it in the Hall of Fame, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but it's it's tough to get in the Hall of Fame these days. Yeah, no, it's tough. He, he you know he needs to do more. But yeah, I mean, if he gets like ten All Star games, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Got to accumulate enough stats. But right, he got a World Series title, right? So he did. Know, yeah, that'll, that'll help. That'll he definitely did. help him. Mm-hmm. So that said, Willie. Mm-hmm. I think it's time we move on to the San Diego Padres. Okay. Sure. We have to talk about the Padres, and we have to talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. Okay. The lightning rod for controversy in baseball for, for one okay. reason or another. Um, yeah. So, uh, for those of you who aren't as aware, uh, <laughs> there was a bit of an incident on Saturday, yeah. uh, last Saturday against uh, the Dodgers. I think everyone where... was watching the Oscars, bro. Or no, it was on Saturday. Yeah, it was, it was Saturday. Right. So, yeah. It was Saturday. Saturday against against the Dodgers, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, on yeah. on video in an at bat against Trevor Bauer is thought to have taken a look at where the catcher is set up and yeah. what the sign is. And there's yeah. a bunch of breakdowns on the internet, and analysts have been talking about this all week, kind of nonstop. Well, analysts not as much as thankfully. What's been the consensus of have. the analysts on TV? What are, what are they saying? I don't know what the consensus of the analysts on TV is, but from people I've talked to and, and things I've watched, it, it's it's not as big of a deal as people might think. Okay. And I think the way the Dodgers addressed it is really is really good because they said, you know, I don't want to think that that happened, but you know, if it is, it's it's Bush League sure. and whatever. And mm-hmm. you and I have had our conversation yeah. about this sure. nonstop all week, and yeah. we've been talking about airing it out on the show. So yeah. I, I want folks at home to be able to get two perspectives on this because we have two pretty different points of view on it, but it's the same issue. And at the end of the day, all it boils down to is number one, how hard hitting is. And number two, that there's more guesswork than just seeing something come out of a pitcher's hand. So, um, which, which side do you think you want to give first? You want to give the, uh, the pro or the con side first as in uh, what he did is fine or, I think it would be good to give the old side first and then give the new, the quote unquote new, new thoughts second. The new, the new school side? Yeah. Okay. And I'm cool. definitely on the old school. All right. All right. Let's hear the old school thought first. Yeah. So, um, I mean, first of all, just to set the stage, right? I think we can all agree that regardless of whatever you think the rule, definitely just to set the stage for anyone who doesn't work. Um, in terms of old school unwritten rules of the game, Mm. This is the biggest no-no in terms of old school during rules of the game. I yeah. I don't know about you playing baseball grew up. I learned this from my dad. It's one of the first things I learned. Like, do not look at the catcher like when you're when you're hitting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still, you know, something that I would say is definitely a lightning rod, right? I, I think that of the unwritten rules being shed, um, I think that this this is the one that's going to be the sticking point. Um, so yeah, the you know the uh, just to set the stage, right? The like Owen said, the written rule is you know you are when you're the batter, you're not supposed to look behind you at the catcher. You're supposed to look forward at the pitcher. Um, and so you know the old school, you know my point of view is that you know hitting is an art. You are uh, hitting is very hard. Um, you have to read where the what the pitch is and where it's going to go. And to me. Um, I'll make two points. Like number one, uh, as I've <laughs> we've said, um, in my opinion, like I said, uh, what differentiates sign stealing at second base is a the runner is naturally looking at home. There's always been expectations they can do that, and the defense has the ability. Sometimes the fielders will do this if they really care enough. They can the the shortstop can move out of position before the pitch and block the you know, block the view of the runner from home. And if they don't care, then, you know, to me, fine. Like, steal all the signs you want at second base. Um, so, on the other hand, the, the catcher has no defense. And to me, re- really what it comes down to is that, like, you know, yes, like, I do think that you're right in the sense that, you know, there are precautions you could take. It is extremely hard. If 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 you were going to peek at the catcher, it is really hard. For me, what it boils down to is it is really hard to to have a defense against it. I mean, you know, you you notice on TV when they change the sets of signs, right? They do it every so often, okay? But it's not most of the time when a runner gets the second or every few pitches. But to potentially have to do it every pitch is a lot um to know where potentially the catcher setup is a huge advantage you know where you can lean the kind of swing you have to take and to me like in my opinion in like i understand it's not a perfect comparison because um you know like you know it's not like they're gonna look every time but to me hitters are smart okay like yes like if you look one time, it's not like you're going to guess the right thing. But if you do it enough times, I firmly believe that it's a, it's the pit, the hitters are going to get it. Two, it's too hard for, and two, like I said, it's too hard for the teams to constantly change signs, like every pitch. Or, you know, you can, you, you see some catchers, they'll look at the hitter when they're giving the signs to see if they do it. That's exhausting. Like, that's really hard. And it's very, very hard to like wait to the very last minute or to to constantly monitor, like to constantly change to make sure they're not seeing. So to mm. me, it's just, is there a defense? Sure, I guess, but it, it's very hard. And I think we'd both agree that if you do, you know, obviously you are on the different side, but you know, I think we both agree, like obviously if you know what what pitch is coming. Or what the location is, it's a huge advantage. And the last thing I'll say is this. Um, I know this is an extreme circumstance, okay? But the Astros, their nick the the nickname for the computer program, they named the computer program Codebreaker. Okay? 
So I understand that this is this is very different. And definitely like you're gonna talk about, I would agree with you that it's not necessarily good for the game to worry about this stuff. However, I firmly believe that players will pick up on it one way or another. If you really let them look, um, they'll pick up on the signs. And like I said, like, yes, you can wait. To, you can do, catchers can definitely do a better job of waiting to the last minute to look for the location. They have no defense, but that's a huge advantage. If, still, if the catchers can't do that, that's a huge advantage to know where the pitch is going to come. So, mm. In my opinion, you know, I I um I definitely see summarize and then I'll let you have the floor. I definitely don't necessarily think it's something for the good of the game that, you know, is the biggest deal. However, I believe that it's cheating. I believe that it's gaining a substantial advantage that uh you shouldn't do. And if a hitter looks behind them or in their peripheral division, I just think it takes away from the skill that that and the the art that pitching that hitting is supposed to be. So that that's like what I what I think. Hmm. So you bring up a lot of good points, and I think one of the things that's not really all that it's not all that frequently debated is whether or not this unwritten rule is is fine because we've we've talked about on the past in the past other unwritten rules yeah like not swing up 3-0 when you're yeah. up by at least six right. uh at least six runs after the sixth inning or something like that mm-hmm. uh we've talked about unwritten rules of you know not flipping your bat not showing up your right. opponent and you know it's okay to play with the game of passion but just don't show anybody up right that's shit. yep and my thing with with potentially potentially peaking at a sign um, is that hitting is such a hard thing to do yeah. that when you're standing in the batter's box, doesn't matter which side you're standing on, right or left, you're standing in a batter's box and you have a small projectile coming at you. Oh yeah. Sure. At 90 to 100 miles an hour, obviously with some deviation due to off-speed pitches and, and whatnot, when you have a little projectile coming at you that fast, and what your job is to do is sure. to hit it and run somewhere <laughs> and to hit it where they are not situated yep. and get on base safely doing that, then your instinct is not going to necessarily be to think about, oh, it's disrespectful to the game, it's not cool to the opponent. If I take a peek and see where the catcher's signing up a little bit, just to get a bit of a hint, right? That's not necessarily what you're going to be thinking of. You're going to be thinking of, I need to hit this thing so I can defend myself, so I don't get hit by 90-plus in the head, like Bryce Harper did yesterday. Mm-hmm. Took 97 to the face. So there's, there's that element of it, which, which I think plays a part. And the other bit of it, and, and this is... This is one that I think the point that you and I have gone back and forth on most frequently this week is basically, well, if pitchers and catchers cared that much about it, then they would do something about it. Mm. And the difference between doing it on second and doing it at the plate is that the catcher has no protection. And to me, that's not true. 
The catcher mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have someone to stand right in front of the hitter and block his block his view. But the catcher has a weapon of he has that array of weapons at his disposal that he can use to throw off the hitter. Signs in baseball and in any sport really were meant to be decoded by the opposition. Hmm. And as someone who de- who designs signs and comes up with different ways to hide your strategy, if your sign gets figured out through one way or another, then maybe your sign wasn't good enough to begin with. And we live in an age where every single ball player has a note card or a piece of paper in their back pocket, in their hat, wherever, to tell them where to go, what the analytics say, where they should be lined up when mm-hmm. there's a certain hitter at the plate versus a certain pitcher. Yeah. Or if there's a certain situation in the game and they should be lined up here because they know of this player's tendency to do that thing. In an age where all of that is a thing and catchers have wristbands full of different signs on it, it, it doesn't seem logical to me that the one thing we go after is the person with a skinny piece of wood as the only thing to defend themselves against a projectile coming straight at them. To me, it's a little bit of, okay, well, and you and I talked about this example as well. If in the NFL someone listens in on the huddle, then you know it's, it's not, you don't allow that. Well, you don't allow it, but if it happens, you know how to get around it. And it's basically not accepting that there are different ways to get around a lot of different things in baseball. And to, to be up in arms about it and have it be an unwritten rule, which, by the way, for, for those who aren't familiar with baseball's unwritten rules, I don't blame you because they're stupid. Um, I understand there's a history of, of doing things a certain way playing baseball, but that's how you lose fans. Hmm. I, I don't think there's any other sport that has these unwritten rules. Um, there's there's things that are like common courtesy, but it's not a rule. And you've seen players not do it before. Uh, like in soccer, the example is if someone goes down injured, you kick the ball out of play if it's someone on the other team so they can get uh, yeah. treatment. Yeah. Right. But that's not always observed. And especially in, in the heat of competition, you're not always going to remember, I need to, to worry about this. I, your focus may be, I need to score this goal. I need to score goals because we're down we're down one in the 90th minute in elimination Mm. game. Mm -hmm. So unwritten rules in baseball have a very, very detrimental effect on Mm. the growth of the sport as it is. And the reason that people aren't watching baseball enough is because number one, it's a long game, which I can understand the commissioner's office's attempt to make the game a little faster, but some of the ways they're going about it are just stupid, but that's for another episode entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this, this idea of not being allowed to do things a certain way in a way that's fun. I don't know if this is the case for sure. I mean, I'm sure someone can, can fact check me on this, but, and Willie, this is a point I brought up to you as well. I don't think there's a situation where players in Japan, Korea, Taiwan, or around the world get this up in arms about whether or not a hitter takes a quick peek at where a catcher is initially set up. So why this only happens in the United States and nowhere else around the world, or at least there's no real controversy about it, especially in East Asia, in 
three countries where their entire culture is based around respect. To me, that's a sign of people in the United States, in this country, not being smart enough about how they disguise their strategy. And that should not be someone else's fault for taking an advantage of something you messed up. In a, comp- in a competition, in a game where players are playing each other for not only championships, prize money, but also to make $435 million over 12 years. That's Mike Trout's contract. Huh? To me, it's just a question of someone figured you out, you weren't good enough, there's a way to get better. And there's a way to do it in a way that stays within the rules of the game, but outsmarts your opponent. To me, that's the, that's the distinction, is that there's always a way to one-up your opponent. There's no checkmate in baseball. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of good points. And like, you know, like I said, I, I definitely agree there's something about in our culture and uh, just, you know, caring about the unwritten rules. Um, and so I would say two things. I would say um, one is just a general point, and then one is like a follow-up to one thing you said. You know, I do want to stress that, you know, like you said at the beginning, Unlike other written rule, unwritten rules, which are more about fun, you know, this is something I would equate to, well, you know, this is something that actually has an effect on the outcome of the game. So there's definitely uh, and a, a potentially very substantial effect. Like I said, I mean, it's a really, if you can figure out a sign or what pitch is coming or where it's going, that is a huge advantage that you have um, compared to other people. Um, and I just don't, to me, the, I mean, really, it really comes down to is, is like, I would greet you like, yes, like, you know, there are better, there are, the pitcher has the trump card. He can throw whatever he wants. And yes, the, the catchers and the pitchers can communicate better and, and try to do ways around it. I don't think that if there is this world where they were peaking a lot, I don't think it's possible for them to really have a strong, like for them, even when taking precautions and sort of point agreements to, to have a defense to it. I don't believe me personally that they can really, that, that the hitter can be outsmarted because like, it's just like, for example, right? The catcher has to always look at the hitter. The hitter could just look at the pitch, the catcher when the catcher is not, you know, looking. There are all these things going on, like every every pitch, you know, and and it's to me, it's just like one of those things where, you know, we can get better, but I don't think you can really do that great a job at potentially preventing it. So, you know, if this were to happen on the mainstream, defenses would definitely have to adjust. But I don't think this is a, a case, me personally, of outsmarting the hitter. I think that's the case partially, but you know, I think it's something they can do marginally better for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that it's something that they can really. Uh, there, I don't think there's a way where you can really substantially outsmart the hitter, short of you know, changing a sign every single pitch. And mm-hmm. like I said, like the location, you can do a lot easier. But I do just want to stress this. This, and this is one big thing, too, okay? Mm. 
There is some talk, and a lot of people think, first of all, not only that they caught, right? I mean, who knows? Like, other people could be doing this. Tatis is probably not the only one. There already is, like, a thing where you can argue that some players probably see where the catcher's setting up location within their peripheral division. Humans are very good at, at their peripheral vision. Um, but to me, it is so—you can so quickly see in your peripheral division that it's just, to me, like— like I said, even with location where you can move the very last minute, there's always the chance that a little peak in your peripheral vision could see. So I definitely think the location thing is easier to solve. But even then, I just want to stress this too. Like, in my opinion, so like if you do know the location of the pitch, like all right, if you look at the what happened, right? Mm. Tatis is leaning out over the plate. Now, in my opinion, this is not a personal thing that Tatis in general. Um, when hitters crowd the plate, I think you should throw it inside. I mean, it's, this is not a personal violent thing. It's just mm. you can't allow them to cover all that much if you're a pitcher. You got to kind of back them off. That's a normal thing. I'm not talking about throwing chin music. But but you can argue that Tatis in the video, right? I mean, the ball is a really – Bauer throws a really good pitch. Tatis is leaning way over the plate. Mm. So the point is like, whether or not you can prevent it, that's something we can debate. But what's not debatable is that if Tatis knew the ball was going out there, he got to a pitch that was very hard to hit, and he hit a home run. So my point is, like, we got to be careful because, like, you know, um, just like steroids in the sense that, you know, this is something that really affects the outcome of the game. And so whether or not you think that it's something that we shouldn't care about or that it's something that can be prevented. Um, if you do know the sign or location, hitters get a huge advantage. And there's also more inequality, right? Because, I mean, if not everyone does it, then the guys who do it are going to get paid more and hit more, just like steroids, right? Like, well, you could say, well, okay, steroids, um, baseball is the hardest, hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports. You still got to hit the ball. Well, that is for those guys who juiced and hit more home runs, they made a lot of money. And so that's why a lot of people took the took steroids, because they're like, well, I don't know if I can make it, right? It's like mm -hmm. kind of like one of those things where everyone's doing it. And yeah, I, I kind of fear that it's one of these things where all of a sudden everyone could start doing it. And uh, like I said, if there if it if there is a way to prevent them from doing this and just you can outsmart the hitter, then I'm wrong. But if you can't, then the pitcher has lost a huge advantage. And um, what makes sports so beautiful to me is how hard hitting is. No one's ever going to deny how hard it is to hit a ball. But, mm. you know, if, they, if there is a case where you can't get around it, then, you know, the hitter has a big advantage that they didn't before. Yeah. Sorry, that was a long rant. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you bring up a lot of good points, and I think it's something that, that needs to be addressed anyways, because yeah. I think for it, certainly for folks who aren't as familiar with baseball and just in general for all baseball fans, it, there needs to be a common understanding as far as yeah. what's okay and what's not within the sport. Right. Do there need to be quote-unquote unwritten rules? 
I don't think so personally. That's just me. Yeah. I, I guess I have more of a new school approach to it. Hmm. But what I would say though is is a couple things. Number one, there are always ways to uh, to get location into a hitter's head that are well within the loose, the rules of the game. Mm, okay. you, you think about how many people uh, from one team are on the field at once for a hitting team. There's three people on the field for a hitting team at once. The hitter and two, two coaches, the first and third. Mm. Not to mention the entire team at the dugout. Who is to say this entire team when the catcher moves, can't say outside or inside or up or down. Who's to say that can't happen? So there's a way. There's a way to give what a would, give the I, hitter an advantage. What I would respond to that though is that sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. So go no, ahead. no, 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 no. Uh, it was so that's that's the first part of it. So have that. That's the first part of it. The yeah. second part of it, and this is the part that I think as a pitcher and mm-hmm. as someone who who is more. Uh, who identifies more on the, with the pitching side of the game. When you can throw 101 miles an hour that breaks six inches, yeah, sure. you're not worried about the, pitcher, about the hitter knowing where it is. If you're Mariano Rivera, you don't care if the, if the hitter knows exactly where it's going to be because he's still not going to be able to hit it. It's a question of also pitchers getting better. Pitchers are so much harder to hit now than they were five years ago. Chipper Jones today on the Braves on the Braves broadcast was talking about this. He was saying that when he was playing, he's he's happy he doesn't have to face guys like <laughs> yeah. Shane McClanahan. He doesn't have to face uh, Emmanuel Classe. He doesn't have to face Aroldis Chapman. He doesn't have to face all these guys who come up throwing a hundred with significant movement on it. That to me is the biggest part of the sport. Bauer threw uh, earlier in in that game on Saturday. He threw a pitch to Tatis, the second pitch of the game. It was a slider that was middle-middle, and Tatis crushed it. Mm. And in that A-B specifically, the second A-B where Tatis hit the second homer, Bauer had threw him in balls exclusively on the outer half of the plate. Yeah. So what's to say that Tatis looking had a more of an impact than him straight up just guessing, he's pitched me away, he's not going to pitch me inside because I already homered off him, I'm just going to sit on something away. So there's there's a little bit of a... Mm. Uh, you know what came first, the chicken or the egg, in this in this right. specific scenario as well. And who's to say this doesn't happen all the time? But because it's Tatis, because it is someone who has disrupted the established baseball mm. order, there's there's some ruffled feathers, and folks aren't happy about it because he's he's doing something we haven't seen before. Um, you're gonna make a point about about me bringing oh, up that idea well, of, I was of say that uh, yeah. So when you talk about it's true. Uh, yeah, you can call stuff out from the dugout. Funny story, when I played in a baseball tournament in Cooperstown, and we were doing that to another team, we were, we 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 figured out the pitcher was. Uh, we figured out the signs, and we were we were yelling it out uh, for a little while in a di- in a, like a a disguised like words, <laughs> and eventually mm-hmm. their team figured it out a few weeks later, changed their signs. Um, but to me, the difference though is, like you said, so hitting is so quick. It is, like you said, it's, it's this fast. So the point is that, to me, the difference is that the, the dugout thing is a little bit different, to me, in my opinion, because it's harder in a split second for the, dug, for the dugout to communicate that to the player. It takes, like, first of all, the players are so focused, 
So they might not even hear the guys yell out. Second of all, it's going to take a little bit to register. But the point is, to me, a little bit different of why they don't, they can't just yell it out is like for something that that's not like tipping pitches, you know, or something that's happening in red in that moment is because the hitter, if he sees, can react immediately. But if someone else is telling him from like the dugout, then, you know, like it's harder. It's harder for me to believe that he could get the information in time. A guy at second, you can make like hand signals and they're directly in your line of vision. So you can get it quicker than, you know, I think someone in the, uh, you know, the dugout. And um, the other, th- but what I would say is this, what I would say is this too, uh, to the other point I bring up, right? So look, it's true that, you know, Tatis, you're right. Like he, he'd been pitched away the whole time. I mean, there's obviously intelligence that we can't, you know, write off, right? But, but part of what makes the the game so great, in my opinion, from a pitching standpoint, is, um, is about the 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 chess match, particularly when you don't have the great stuff. You see guys, you know, changing up their pitches masterfully. You know, you don't want to, you got to pitch backwards or, you know, you, you, they've sped up the bat and you don't want to slow down or you change eye levels, you change locations. And so to me, part of the more nuanced thing is the art of pitching relies on like you, like I said, moving the ball all over, you changing all over pitchers. And to me, if the pitcher, in a, if, the, if the hitter in a split second whether or not Tatis actually got an advantage from looking. If the hitter can just take away from that puzzle and the, the whole puzzle of the sequence, right? Like the whole, it's there's, you got like, that's also part of the hard thing as a pitcher, right? He's like, you're also thinking about the last pitch or what pitch he might throw you because of the count or where he's been pitching you, what side of the play he's been, he's been throwing. Has he been thrown high or low? And so, to me, it's like part of the more beautiful part of pitching. It's on a more aesthetic level. It's like it's a pure mental game between the hitter and the pitcher. And if you can just look at someone, I, you know, I don't think baseball was meant for this. I don't think baseball was meant for someone three feet behind you. You just looking potentially like the whole art of if you can figure it out, the whole art of what the pitcher can do to just set you up is gone because. And so to me, it's just like. You know, that's that's also the other thing. And I know that's a baseball purist thing, right? I mean, I would agree, like you said, you know, Tatis is ruffling feathers for the sake of the game. This may not be something that we should focus on. However, I do think that it's something that really can profoundly affect the outcomes of the game. And that's what makes this so different than stealing a base when you're up big times or swinging at 3-0 or bat flipping. Or even stealing with the guy on second. Because um, based on where we are right now, this could really change the outcome of the games if we uh, allow it on the more mainstream level. Yeah. No, I mean, look, you bring up a lot of good points as far as, you know, the. To, to put it 
uh, to put it one way, the, the soul of the game. Yeah. And it, it makes sense. It really does. Um, I guess there's just, there's, in addition to, to you know, some of the, the ways we've talked about getting around, um, you know, signs and decoding signs, there's also the element of just, the, we're naturally seeing the game adapt yep. to, sure. um, to hitters. Because hitters are hitters are getting better. They're starting to hit more homers. Huh. Whether or not that's that's predicated on them knowing where the pitch is going to be by stealing signs is another thing. But ultimately, yeah. we're getting to a point where and, and I, I was reading something today that was it was pretty brief, but it was basically saying um one one anonymous executive was saying, um, we're not we're not breeding pitchers anymore, we're breeding throwers. As in they're just trying to get guys to throw as hard as humanly possible. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. If they don't know where it's going, then then what's what point is it, what what's the point of the catcher setting up in a certain place if they don't even know where it's going? Mm, well, and that's, so that's a good point. Yeah. And so there's there's a bit of a we're seeing the game kind of adapt in front of us. Mm. One says, and, and and what I would always ex- what I would always express to folks is that yes, hitting a baseball is incredibly hard. Mm. And does that mean we should make it harder? Do, hmm. Does that mean we should frown upon people that well okay. within the rules of the game hmm. do what they can to make it a little bit easier so that hmm. they can have more fun, so everyone can have more fun? I mean, yeah, you and I can appreciate how 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 um, a one nothing game feels. We can appreciate that that bit of it because we, you know we've been around hmm. the game for so long. But for the average fan, you think hmm. someone's going to want to sit through three hours of a game where one team scores once and the other team scores okay. not at all? Uh, by and large, it's not going to be very popular. No, no, and I, yeah. Sure. So it, it stems from basically the the integrity of the game is not going anywhere because there are ways to get around it by the part of the catcher, especially. And I think Yadier Molina is probably the best at doing this. Definitely. So. But he doesn't move a muscle until that pitcher is halfway through their windup, and then he'll move to where it is. And by the time the hit, hitter looks down and realizes it, that ball is already over the plate. Hmm. And so it's one of those things where, yes, we talk about you know everyone abiding by a certain standard and trying to do what they can to to yeah. not, um, you know, to not get an unfair competitive advantage advantage, yeah. i.e., like the Astros. Um, and so, you know, it's just there's there's ways to get around it. Mm-hmm. There's ways to circumvent. Um. So, to ways, ways to steal signs that's completely legal within the rules of the game it's just a question of who does what they do better is the hitter better at stealing signs or is the pitcher better at hiding signs with the catcher so there's there's a lot of different ways you could discuss this but I think you and I hit on, on a lot of the, the major yeah, points sure. I haven't I haven't really heard anyone say that you know it's it's it should be encouraged um, I think that's a, that's a bit outlandish, but I think a lot of people would say, and this this is this applies to people I've talked to about it, people I've asked about it. They say, "Yeah, it I doesn't doesn't matter to me. Just do what you can do." I mean, yeah, don't yeah, do it with I, the Astros, I, but I, I think you're right. No, I think, and I think that uh, I think that this is a really polarizing topic because hmm. I would agree. Like, look for the growth of the game. This is not something we should care about. I mean, first of all. We need to promote young stars mm-hmm. um, to save the sport. Um, fans like to see hitting. 
like you said, they don't want to see a game where it's 1-0. Um, they like flash. You know, they like the long mm. ball. Yep. They like, you know, launch angle. They like fun. Uh, they want to see, like I said, they want to see hitting. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, from a from a very, from a casual, like for the good of the game, like I would agree with you that while it's maybe not something I would encourage, like it's maybe not something that's, it's really not the biggest fish to fry or mm. something that's even important, like in that, that sense. Um, where I, you know, that said, um, you know, for people who, who like the game on a little bit more of a casual level, I, you know, I really do think that, like I said, like this has potentially a substantially big impact on winning slash outcomes and, and performance. And I would say for me, crosses a little bit of a bit of that line. And so, you know, is it something we should, you know, for the, the growth of the game comes first. Um, but, you know, I, I really do think that, you know, that, you know, the, the baseball was not made so someone could just turn around three feet from you and look. And, you know, like, if you, the location thing is a big deal. But to me, the signing, the sign thing, that's that's the even bigger deal. Because, like I said, for the good of the game, don't care about it. But like I said, look, the hardest thing about hitting, if you had to pick one thing, is probably you have to read a ball that's coming so fast at you. You got to read the spin on the ball. You got to figure out what the pitch is, right? So if you can just turn around and see the sign and guess right, you know, that's a... That's a thing, you know, and so, yeah, I, I would say, you know, it's one of those things where I, I just think it's like, it's weird because, like, is it unwritten rule? Yes. So technically, is it in the rules of the game? Like, yes, but, and... But do people necessarily like it? No. It's kind of in between. It's this really weird, like, weird thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a very, uh, very interesting topic, you know. But I would definitely say, for, just quickly, the for the millennial fan, right? I mean, this is the last thing they want to think about. You know, I mean, this is this yep. is the last thing they they really want to think about. So the only thing I would push back on you though is like you know like i said is is it's just like i agree with you that it's good for the growth of the game the only thing i would push back and say is like to me this has nothing to do with tatis ruffling feathers like to me like i put this in a in entire like some people maybe i guess some people could be angry because there's all these things that come up with tatis but i really put this in entirely separate category and it's like you know i mean maybe my dad's lower my dad's the same thing right my dad's like I think all the other stuff is good for the game, but not this, you know, like my dad's like, you know, so I think that the only thing I would just say is like, you know, I think that this is a very different, whether it's right or wrong. I think it's a very different thing, completely different than stealing signs at second or this, 
you know, the, all the other, you know, theatrical stuff that people complain about. Mm. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's a different beast for sure. I'll give you that. It's, it's not, it's not the run of the mill kind of unwritten rules, if you will. This is a very specific one. Um, and, and there's a lot of ways to think about it. It just depends on what you value as far as, you know, the competitive integrity of the game. Um, Mm. I guess the, what, what I would do, and I want to kind of get our last words on this because I want to move on to hot takes Yeah, sure. uh, in the interest of time. What I would say is that since signing has gotten a lot more complex over the years, yeah. uh, pretty much every pitch you see catchers looking into, the, into their, their dugout and see what their managers are saying, yep. see what their managers are signing. Yep. There, is, there is nothing, I think, preventing hitters or preventing, sorry, pitchers Catchers and uh, coaches, specifically. I mean, other players can be involved yep. in this too. But pitchers, catchers, and coaches, from adding into their signing a a designator that indicates which set of signs it is, because there's no universal thing. Mm. One is fastball, two is curveball, right. three is changeup. It's not like, universal. It varies like from person now, to person. Right now, they'll they'll do they'll do like a signal, and then that's just the. Right, they could do that every time. No, I mean that's, exactly. And there's a lot of there's a lot of signing that goes on in between pitches. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that the average fan doesn't necessarily see that goes into it. And so when you think about, okay, he's just going to look behind him and see where the pitch is. That's not necessarily true because catcher could be setting up down and away, but then move over to the inside of the plate. He could do that to trick you. He could do that on every pitch, or he, since he has you guessing, he can now set up where the where it's actually going to be. You can look, or, and if you look, could, you think it's change. one or the other. Yeah, or he could try to fool you and change the pitch. You think it's like a fastball. And exactly, exactly. It's like calling an audible. There's so many ways to do it as a pitcher or as a catcher. And I think there's, you know, for for an unwritten rule, like don't like show up your opponent, don't flip your bat, don't swing 3-0, those are stupid ones. They're not in the rules. This one is not in the rules, but it can also be very easily prevented. Those are a little harder. I mean, maybe... Maybe you have a position player at the plate and the other team's up like 10 and 3-0, you throw a pitch middle-middle and they hit a grand slam. Yeah, I can see how that's frowned upon. I don't personally like it, but it's, I can see how it's frowned upon. I can understand that, sure. Because you know, no one likes to be, just have the, the crap beaten out of them on a consistent mm-hmm. basis, uh, no, matter, no matter how good your team is, no matter how many games you've won yeah. in a season. But there's always a, ways to get a, there's always a way to get around it. And, and I think it's, it's just mm-hmm. a question of, you know, Sure. We may not baseball purists, if you want to call if you want to call them that. We may not necessarily like it, sure. But there's a way to get around it. That's just where the, the way the game has evolved. And the only reason to me it's getting as much flack as it is is because it's Tatis. It's because it's someone who's already done it before. And so when you have someone who has done something like that, that that magnifying glass just gets a little bigger, and that that hmm. little that little spot on his the little target on his back just gets a sure. little bigger. That's part and of it. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a part of it. It's not the whole story, obviously, because, you know, mm. he's still, had, it could have been anyone hitting a home run. It could have been some other person. But the only reason is be, it's because it's Tatis, because it's someone who is who he is, uh, that it's getting the attention that he I has. don't think it's the only reason. But it's I not the only reason. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's I, I'd say it's, it's part sure. of it, but it's not the it's only a, reason. It's definitely a factor for sure. Yeah. Um, but but it's funny because Bauer even did a breakdown of that that moment where he's saying, Oh, I gotta watch on his YouTube page. Um, actually, I don't know if he did that. He broke down. Um, actually, no, no, he did. He did a breakdown of that. He kind of teased going into the whole sign stealing thing from, from the hitter. Um, but I think it was John Boy 
uh, did a video breaking it down, and he said how Bauer had thrown had thrown away, 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 and so all of a sudden Tatis thinks he's going to throw away. I'm going to I'm going to cheat that way, and if he grounds out, it's fine, but only because he hit a home run on a really good pitch. I mean, that's a pitcher's pitch. That's not a that's not a, a pitch that well, anyone which, hits over the fence. Which, but what's interesting that what you just said though, right, is this, mm-hmm. which is like, and I agree with you. There should be like. Hopefully, it wouldn't add too much time to the game. But I do think that there should be one of the things catchers should do is instead of having a set of signs, they should just have a first sign, which is what set of signs are we doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then for every pitch, and then, you know, do it. Um, but I think that one interesting thing, well, so two things. One is that, um, you know, like I said, a like I said before, you know whether or not he, you know, he was pitching him away, way and way, but it, you know there is the chance that he he gained something from it. But I think one interesting thing we can't really overlook here, which I think is really interesting, is like so. There's been a lot of cheating going on in baseball for a long time, and we're never gonna. You know, you think about. You know, even you hear about back in the day, right? Tony Larusa installing a, a video camera. I think the reality is that we like to hit on the Astros, and rightfully so. But the reality, you know, but the reality is that you know, I've seen, I saw a video. I don't know if it's real or not, right? Of of different players from different teams wearing buzzers. There's obviously the Scott Brocious dad thing, where he says Mike Trout is taking steroids. Um, there's also reports that. Like a hand, five or six teams were doing not quite Astros level things, but were stealing signs in a legal manner. That's not to mention the Red Sox Apple Watch thing. Um, so I think there's two layers of this. You could take both sides. One is that I think that cheating has been going on for a long time, and we'll never know the details of what the MLB investigation detailed because. Part of giving them immunity was to try to figure out what they were doing so they could stop other teams from doing it. So we're never going to know how widespread, you know, that it wasn't just an Astros thing, like that there were other teams doing something similar to the Red Sox or the Astros, like there reportedly was, or wearing buzzers. So on one hand, cheating has been going on for a long time and probably much more than we know. Uh, However, there's the flip side of the coin, which is just like, this whole time, um, while these other forms of cheating have been going on, catcher uh, batters have not been looking at the catcher. So now all of a sudden, you add this new wrinkle to the game, and it's like, well, we don't, you know, it's it's honestly, Owen, it's really hard to know, like. Regardless of what can happen, it's really hard to know what could happen. Mm-hmm. If yep. looking at the catcher knows mainstream, you go two ways. Like, you know, pit, you know, catchers, uh, pitchers, and catchers could adjust to it well, no problem. Or it could go the other way. You know what I mean? We just don't know. We really, we really don't know. Yep. No, that's 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 a good point you bring up. It's that there there shouldn't be a new added wrinkle to this already complex dynamic. Of yeah. you know, we suspect there to be some foul play going on, but we don't know for sure. 
Houston messed up. Tony La Russa kind of got away with it a little bit, not really. Red Sox kind of got away with it a little bit, know, not Yankees really. Supposedly were you know the dude. Yankees were part of that too. They had like an iPad in the dugout that they weren't supposed to have. Yep, and it, it, it makes sense. It does. It when you have a, a a something that affects an outcome that's not as you know you don't. It's not hidden. It's just out in the open. Yep. Um. It, it, it's kind of like a respect thing or like in golf or even like in yeah, soccer when exactly. someone goes down. So I do get that. I do get that for sure. Yeah. Sure. So it, it really, it, this, this discussion could go on either yeah, way and it could go on for hours and hours, but I do want to move on. Um, I think sure. we've, we've both made some pretty good points and it's really up to you, the, uh, the listeners of hot takes only and sure, anyone you. else who, who has a, a thought as to what's right and what's wrong in, uh, in baseball, as far as looking yep. at the catcher. Just depends on what you value, really, and depends on what you what you see as as yeah. cool and not cool within the rules of the game. Because it's this is all within the rules of the game. Uh, it's just a question of of etiquette and and I guess you know yeah. decency, I guess if you will. Yeah. Uh, but Willie, I mean, a month into the season, I think this has gone exactly as we could have, you know, it, just like we could have yeah. hoped for. Uh, it's sure. been a good season so far, and I'm excited to see what the next month has in store for us, uh, especially as we get into summer and the ball starts to fly out of certain ballparks. Um, oh yeah. Also, meanwhile, before before we move on, though, can we talk about the Cincinnati Reds real quick? <laughs> the sure. Reds lineup has been on a tear recently. Yeah. They're scoring so many runs. I mean, they're not really pitching all that well, but they are okay. scoring a ton of runs. Um, yeah. I think it was yesterday they scored. No, they got shut out yesterday. Uh, but they took two out of three from the Dodgers at they home uh, yep. in, in L.A., and I think over the weekend they had some funny results. It, uh, no, that was the Cubs. Uh, where's the Reds? Where's the Reds? Where's the Reds? Uh, 5-4 lost to the Cardinals on Friday. Yeah. Uh, they proved me wrong or they proved me right? I don't know. Shout out against the Cardinals on Saturday. They're proving me wrong right now, but they're, yeah. uh, they're playing some good baseball right now. So I just keep an eye on the Reds. Definitely. Keep an eye on the Reds. That's all for, I'd say. For what it's worth. Um, no, they have a great lineup. Uh, for whatever it's worth. Uh, speaking, it's funny you mentioned Tatis. The <laughs> Reds have two of the biggest hotheads in baseball, Winker and Cassianos. <laughs> yep. For sure. Which is kind of funny. And Tatis is the one getting all the flack. Yeah. No, Tatis is a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Yeah. He's just having some fun playing baseball. For sure. Uh, but let's move on to hot takes, Willie, because I have one that is not necessarily a new hot take. It's just a hot take, and it, it, okay, it's go relevant. Go ahead. It's relevant with the uh, Champions League fixtures all for right. next week. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sergio Ramos is the most overrated defender of all time. Oh, damn. He is as overrated as they come. Wow. Okay. Because Willie, you you played as a central defender for for much of your much of your career playing soccer. Yep. Right. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the most important things for central defenders, I mean, this goes for any player on the pitch yeah. in soccer, but for a central defender, you probably don't want to get sent off. Am I right? <laughs> You probably uh, don't want to get sent off. You're very correct. And and leave a, a nice hole no. uh, in your defense for the other team to exploit and exploit quite frequently. Well, Sergio Ramos is the most yeah. carded player in the history of, in La Liga with 191 cards. <laughs> he has been sent off four times in the Champions League, three of them being straight reds. He's the most carded player and the joint mm -hmm. most red carded player in the history of the Champions League. Yeah. And he has the 
most cards in the history of the Spanish <laughs> national team with 24. Oh my gosh. Ramos is wow. a, how do you put it this way? He is a last ditch defender. As in, the way he defends is by yeah. just doing anything you can to prevent the ball from going, which is how you defend. That, that's sure, that's yeah. how you defend. But there's ways to do it where, uh, I, I can't remember who it was. Was it, it was someone who said, if I, I think it was um, Maldini who said, if I have to make a tackle, yeah. then I've already messed up. That's, that's what a good defender looks, yeah. sounds like, is, is someone who defends by not even touching you, just by shutting off all possible avenues for you to go. It's like, it, it, it reminds me of, of kind of like parking the bus a little bit in the sense that there's, there's no way for you to play between the lines where both the defensive line and the midfield and even their attackers are so far back that there's no okay. room in behind. There's no room, I guess, diagonally. You can just go side to side. Mm-hmm. That's how you defend. No, there's no tackles being made there. That's just good defending. And I guess the the saving grace for Ramos for for all my all the Madrid fans listening to this is that he scores big goals in big moments. Sure, I'll give you that, but that's not necessarily the sign of a good defender. That's a sign of a good player. He's a he's a world class footballer, but he's not a world class defender. That's the that's the distinction in my eyes, and and it's. It, I just can't wrap it around my head where you can you can somehow be regarded as the top defender in the world or one of the top defenders in the world mm. when you can barely stay on the pitch. Yeah, it's, yeah. Because you always get sent off. He, he is a walking red card. Wow. I mean, statistically, he is a walking red card. Sure. It's it's ridiculous. It is it is funny and and like you said he he fouls a lot. Remember uh I thought it was funny. Remember, he took the yellow card against Ajax so he could miss the second leg so he could come back after, then they they lost. Uh, it's, it's, some of the stuff he does is just stupid. Um, one, more, one more stat in, um, in, um, in his career, in La Liga specifically. So he has 191 cards total. 171 of them are yellow cards. The other 20 are red cards. So he's the most sent-off player in the history of La Liga. So most in La Liga, joint most in Champions League, most in the Spanish national team. The last thing, the card record in La Liga, 191, is the highest of anyone else in any of the major European leagues. England, Spain, France, Italy, Germany. No one in any of those leagues in history ever has been carded more than Ramos. Is that a sign of taking one for the team? Taking, taking a, a foul for the team on the halfway line where they're potentially through on goal, but not a clear-cut goal-scoring opportunity? Yeah, maybe. But to have to do it that many times... It does not necessarily mean you're a good defender. It means you're not just reading the game right and you're just sure, kind of sure. doing last-ditch things. I mean, Willie, you, you probably have a different perspective on Ramos, and I, I know he's widely regarded as being world-class, sure, sure. but it's just, it's I can't wrap my head around how that can go, ha- how his, his disciplinary record as a defender can go hand-in-hand hand with sure. world-class. Well, I think, It just doesn't uh, make sense to me. Yeah, in my opinion, you know, he... He can play not only just physically, but I think his positioning on the field. He can play a little bit 
fast and loose sometimes. I mean, he can be uh, kind of playing a high line or he can be kind of very um, high up and not give the defender much space or the forward much space so he can kind of run in behind. Um, so, yeah, for sure. I mean, those are those issues are are for sure there. And there are times, like, when you watch him play, like, he can definitely get beat. He can definitely get beat. But overall, he's a very smart defender. He's a very good one-on-one defender. Um, when he wants, he knows the right places to be. Like, he knows how to lead a defense. Um, obviously good on the ball. But, you know, his, in, like, his intangibles, I think, are, are so strong, too. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, Zidane, in, you know, insisted on keeping Ramos at the club when this offseason there was a lot of rumors about, you know, Ramos leaving. Um, and so I would definitely say I can, I can definitely, I can definitely see, there's definitely an argument to be made. He plays fast and loose. Sometimes he gets beat. He's out of position or he's playing fast and loose. Um, but he definitely has all the tools. Like he, he's not a, a bad defender. He can just get a little, uh, it's not careless. It's just, um, arrogant, cocky. And that's why I think you see him a little out of positions and having to make these like last ditch tackles and stuff like that. But he has all the individual defensive ability in my opinion. Yeah. No, when when he's when he's right, I think he's a very very good defender. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, he has all the he has all the attributes of a world class yeah. defender. But it's just when you, when you get sent off that much, it's just it's just <laughs> I, I don't even think he's the best defender on his team personally. I think right. Rafa Varane is a much yeah. better defender than he is, and Varane is also significantly wow. younger. I think we're Ron only like 27. 28, maybe. 29. I'm not sure, no, but something like that, yeah. But Ron if you ask me who, who do I build a who do I build a defense around, who I build a team around, I'm gonna pick yeah. Veron every single time. Okay. Wow. I mean they're both great players, but yeah. Yeah, Sergio Ramos is the mainstay. That's interesting. Um yeah. but I, that's just me. Maybe I don't I mean I'm the one who also doesn't rate Busquets and people take, are like would you take I don't like Busquets. No, <laughs> would you take rate. Veron over Pepe back in the day? <laughs> Clear every every time, every time. Oh, it's okay. just it's just it's the the difference between their abilities defensively, both physically and mentally, is marginal to the point that the difference between the two, the deciding factor, is his disciplinary record. Mm-hmm. And Pepe and Ramos just have that; they just can't, they can't do it. Wow. Okay. It, it's yeah, just I, mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't know what it is to me. And and just just to fathom the fact that they played on the same team, that they were the that they were the the center defensive pairing at Real Madrid, Pepe and Ramos. It's very to funny. Me, to me, it's just it's it's oh my god. That that's that's very funny, bro. Yeah. But then again, I, you know, this is coming from someone who doesn't rate Busquets, and people are like, "Oh, if you don't rate Busquets, you don't understand football." I was like, "No, I understand football. I understand there's." Always need to be someone as an outlet, someone to recycle possession. He's just not very. He's not the best to ever do it. He just played for Barcelona and for Spain, for very possession happy teams. You put Genie Wijnaldum in that same role, same job. That's literally Wijnaldum's job at Liverpool. 
Wow. And just okay. better holding midfielders. There's better defensive midfielders. There's better holding midfielders too. Okay. I mean, wow. Casemiro is much better than Busquets, in my personal opinion. Oh yeah, I mean, for sure. I think uh, the Claude Makélélé argument, as you could say. Yeah, Ngolo Kanté. Uh oh. I mean, you you, you appreciate that one, Willie. I know you do. <laughs> yeah. Do you know the Claude Makélélé case? The Claude Makélélé. Um. Yeah. Pretty much. Or I mean, the, the yeah. gist of it, anyway. Fiorentino Paris, right? He <laughs> famously said, "Right, Claude McAuley. I think he's like wasn't good enough. He didn't think he was a good enough, yeah, a footballer and everything." Um, yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Okay. Any more? No, that's my only take for the now. I was just thinking about it earlier because I, I think um, I don't I don't remember how it popped into my head, but I was just like, man, Ramos is overrated. I think I need to talk about that more on the show. <laughs> he, yeah, I mean, he. He definitely is, bro. But uh, you know, I—it's interesting because, like, right? Like you, I think it's—it's it's interesting. I just will say this, right? That it's—it's it's almost like there are so many great soccer teams in the world, right? And obviously, the big clubs get the most attention, and so. There are so many great defenders that kind of get overlooked, and you know Sergio Ramos is in the spotlight. So I think partly benefits because of that, you know. But True. it's a uh, very very interesting. Um, okay. Uh, by the way, I should just mention before I give a couple of my hot takes. Yeah. A couple of really good years right now. Clayton Kershaw and uh, how about Car- Carlos Rodon? Mm. Dude, Carlos Rodon is four and zero with the points seven two ERA the White Sox after the new hitter this guy's incredible yeah he's the third overall pick in the draft this guy's like this guy's legit my gosh yeah dude dude knows what he's doing um really quickly before before you give your take um I was playing MLB the show the other day and there's a there's a thing called there's a moments in Diamond Dynasty where you play through like some of the more recent moments that happened one of the ones was uh pitching three innings and not giving up a hit with Rodon Dude is that that card that they give you to do that is insane. He 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 has like ninety eight, ninety five to ninety nine with this four seamer. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, yeah, he's the, the sure. stuff itself is stupid. So big fan. Mm-hmm. Anyways, for sure. Um, your takes. Oh, he's, wow. Okay. Um. He's good at baseball. All right. So um, there is a uh, a baseball player on the subject of baseball and. There's a lot of soccer I could give up. There is a baseball player who I think is extremely overrated. And I'm just going to go as far as to say that he is not going to have another really top year again. (laughs) He's the exact kind of player, to be honest, that... I mean, analytics say one thing I just don't like, to be perfectly honest. Like, mm. style-wise, nothing to do with the person. Yeah. But you know who that player is who I think is very, very overrated? Mm. Judge? No. Mm, John Judge? Carlos Stan? Yes, though. No, it's not Stan. Uh, you're not far off, but, you know. Gary Sanchez? Oh, no, no, no. No. Uh, uh, we talked about it before, didn't we? Didn't we? Uh, Glaber Torres? No. 
Damn it. Okay, I'm out. I'm out. Who do you got? Pete Alonzo. Ooh. Oh boy. Oh boy. I want to hear this one. Yeah. Look, Pete Alonzo. All he's got is the long ball. That's all he's got. That's it. Wow. I mean, I, I, I don't even know how to respond. Because you're kind of right. <laughs> he's he's kind of just the guy who shows up, goes yard, and goes home. That's it. He has a really high on, like, a very high strikeout rate. And a high, like, uh, like whiff rate. Mm. All the signs are there. Like, look, all I'll say is this one. Not like I watch the Mets every day, even though they have the best broadcast in the MLB by a long shot. But mm. in my opinion, well, actually, it's right there with the Dodgers. The Dodgers, Ooh. I think, have a very good broadcast. Sorry. <laughs> um, I just think they're a very good pairing. But um, yeah, I just think, I mean, if you hate a Cody Bellinger, like, I mean, Pete Alonso is a great candidate when he's not making contact stink as a hitter. So I'm just throwing that out there um watch out watch for pete alonzo not going to make another all-star game well you're on to something with the strikeouts he has 24 and 19 games this year it's a lot right yeah yeah mm-hmm. but his ops is 833 so he's doing something right well you know that's i mean he has some you know uh decent you know on base stuff, but in my opinion, which is good, which is a really good sign hmm. for walks and stuff. But in my just my opinion, it's really dangerous when you swing and miss a lot for long term success. Yeah, it's it's kind of a red flag in my mind if you can't make contact because mm-hmm. um, you can go through slumps. Right. You know what I mean. Right. I get you. I get you. But like, I'll tell you what. Um. Yeah, I mean. He, 53 home runs. I don't think he'll sniff that again. But we'll see. I mean, we'll look see. what happened to, like I said, look what happened to Bryce Harper. Yeah. Um, okay. So. All right, what's your second take? Yeah, here's my, um, here's my, here's my, um, here's my, my second take. So, I think that this is kind of a funny one. Um, so I think that uh, well, okay. Um, oh, and I think that one of the most overrated baseball players I've seen, and I don't even know if this is like fair. Okay, I don't even know if this is a really good designation because maybe he was never rated that highly in the first place. But, um, I mean, even though he's had some good stats at times, but I always... Okay, one of the most overrated players that I've seen is uh, Kyle Schwarber. Oh, boy. I just don't think he's ever been great at all. Like, I really don't think he's been other than the long ball. Like I said, he, he's this big, fat first baseman. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. 
Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Who is ruthless? No, it's ruthless. I shouldn't have my, said that. We're just my like, guy is ruthless. You know what I mean? Like, what's the deal with Kyle Schwarber, bro? Like, um, okay, like, okay, like, you know, you play, okay, terrible outfielder. Okay. Mm. Terrible. What's all the, this season, negative 0.2 wins above replacement. Yikes. What's all the, uh, what's all the, uh, you know, what's all the excitement about, really? I mean, yeah. you know, he's never had that great an offensive war, despite, if you look at his numbers, he's never really mm-hmm. had that great an offensive war. Maybe he was never considered that great a player. I could be wrong. I think he's always, he's been rated, but never really lived up to the hype. Um, okay. Let's look at a couple of his years, a couple of his more recent years. Uh, 250 in 2019, 238 in 2018, 211 in 2017. I'm excited about, Bone. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and the slash lines aren't great. I mean, 2017 through 2019, highest he hit was 250. Highest OBP was 356. Highest that's slugging not, was bad. 531. That's low on base. Like, and his, high o, his highest OPS was 871. Yeah, I mean, that's not bad. So that's probably the number the Cubs are looking at more. His on-base percentage of slugging, not less so. I mean, 2019 was his best offensive year across the board. Uh, but really just did, didn't go anywhere from there. I mean, 38 homers, 92 driven in. Um, yeah. 871 OPS. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty solid season for a sure. lot of guys. And, you know, he finished, um, no, he didn't get any MVP votes. I don't think, but it makes sense. Like it, the, the, the numbers don't back up the case of, of the Cubs. I mean, the, at least the base numbers. I mean, you can get into the advanced analytics all you want to. And I'm sure the Cubs are very yeah. diligent in how they assess players these days, but I, I do, I do get what you're saying though. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I I mean, not disagreeing at all. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's like one of those things where, you know, I, on base is important, but to me, it's just like, bro, he has a, his career wins above replacement is not very good. And like you said, they're looking at the on base, but he's terrible in the outfield. Like he's terrible. Like he's awful on defense. (laughs) So I'm just saying like, something's got to give here, man. (laughs) <laughs> Something's got to get. Let's look at his. Uh, I'd love to see his defensive war. Tell me his defensive, defensive war. war. Let's see. Defensive war. Uh, Probably not very good. Kyle Schwarber defensive war. And I mean, there's obviously different measures of war. Yeah. You know? Okay, here we go. Defensive war. Career negative 3.2. There you go. Oof. That's rough. His best season <laughs> in the majors. Well, guess what his best season was? Uh, it's like negative one. Zero. Defensive war. Zero. Eesh. That's his best season as a fielder. Eesh. And Owen, like, he's playing left field here. This is not first base. Yeah. Like, he, you know, he's costing the team runs. So I just wanted to say that. Uh, no, no disagreement for me, truthfully. Okay. Because it's just, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack with that specific, uh, that specific take. I will say this though. I do think that baseball is really interesting. 
I read something and, you know, they make a great point, which is that <laughs> like to some extent fielders, you know, cause people can't watch games every day when they're busy and stuff. Mm. Um, they do kind of live off their reputation. And I do think that Schwarber, you know, um, I read an article about this, you know, like Schwarber has had a bad reputation in the past and he's gotten better, but you know, his reputation just so bad. People always assume that that's, that's possibly the case, but, um, yeah, definitely. Certainly the uh, numbers, uh, I'd love to see how many runs his lack of quality on defense <laughs> contributed to giving up. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. My man, my man woke up this morning and chose violence. I gotta say, Sorry, I gotta I say everyone. That. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, 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 it, <laughs> it's all if fun. We're just, we're, if we're, if we're going to invite Kyle Schwerber on the show, <laughs> I should not tell him. You gotta just never include this in the episode. No, no. Yeah, don't show him this. Uh, <laughs> don't show him this clip. Oh man. Um, no. No. I. I think. I think for all intents and purposes, I think. I remember he came up with a lot of promise, and I think it was a combination of just injuries and just a variety of things. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, how how we look at that 2016 Cubs team, I, I think is is very subjective. Yeah, you know, based on what you think of the overall story of them breaking their 108 year, 106 year first, whatever it was. Um, so it, it's just a lot to unpack with that. But statistically, you're right. I mean, outside of 2019, Kyle Schwarber has not had a a superstar type year that I think yeah. he was that fit his reputation. I think that's that's more along the lines of what you're getting at is is the reputation. Yeah, that's kind of where so, I'm getting at. Yeah. But you know that's understandable. But um, any more uh, final thoughts? Yeah. Um, what did you think about uh, this? Was kind of this was kind of funny. Um, what did you think about? Uh, did you saw the other day? How many days ago the Cubs played the Braves and uh, Rizzo struck out for? Oh New- yeah, <laughs> a couple days ago. Yeah. Um, or no, no, was that was that last night? Uh, yeah, it was last night. Yeah, he struck him out, bro. That made me laugh so hard. I I could not stop laughing when that happened. Dude, I'm <laughs> telling you, like, yeah, man. I mean, it's hard to hit pitchers that are that just stink. It really is. I, I'm trying to verify it was last night. Last night being uh, April 28th. Yeah, it was last night, April yeah, 28th. Really? Ten wow. nothing game. Anthony Rizzo on the on the mound facing Freddie Freeman, who uh, in the in the last uh, series, last Sunday night baseball, the Braves were on. Um, Freddie Freeman got caught in a rundown, and Rizzo chased him down and and yelled Frederick at him uh, to try to confuse him. But uh, yes, ten nothing game. Braves are on top, and Freddie Freeman's hitting. Anthony Rizzo's on the mound, and Rizzo strikes out Freddie Freeman, and everyone is just bursting out laughing. <laughs> Just, just the context of it, just based on what happened that Sunday night game, and then you know, obviously it's it's Anthony Rizzo, who's kind of the face of the franchise, and Freddie Freeman, who's the face of the Braves franchise. Yeah, and, you know, it was these are great. these are two guys who are you know ribbing each other and having a good time. It's just they they couldn't stop yeah. laughing at it, and, and Rizzo's <laughs> reaction, he's just he's just kind of standing there looking at Freddie, then he catches the ball with his bare hand. Like all of all of what happened in that was just just uh, amazing. It, was, right? they it were reminds me so much fun. It reminds me of why I love baseball too, because it's like that the game was completely gone. I mean, it was a, it was a ten run game. It was just, Braves are winning that game regardless. <laughs> no. 
There's no other um, reason to watch that game <laughs> at that point. But it's... Yeah, I mean, it was, isn't it, it was funny? Fun. Remember the MLB changed the rule back? Yeah. Remember now they they were trying to not let position players pitch. And uh... Manfred is doing his best to make sure baseball stays boring but fast. Make yeah, baseball fun again. Care. That's all I gotta say. That's all I gotta say. That's all he cares about, you know. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. Well, but. Yep. Uh, we've had a lot to, to discuss in this episode, and I know that. Uh, our last one was in a while, so it's it's kind of like we're doing uh, two episodes at a time. But what are you gonna do? Truthfully, there's a lot yeah. of content we have to talk about. It's a, it's a, a busy two weeks in sports. Yeah. Uh, so the hopefully hopefully the next episode will be on time, and if not, then it'll be a little later, and we'll we'll inch our way yeah. towards the uh, the Champions League final, which I think will be the ep- the end of season two. I'll probably go on a bit of a hiatus to start the summer, and then uh, yeah. I think what what my thought is, and, and Willie, you and I can probably talk about this. And I love how we're sharing plans that we have not yet discussed in our <laughs> episode. Uh, but you know it is what it is we're just having some fun uh, our first episode of season three of hot takes only will be a trade deadline special Ooh. we'll come back in july well actually maybe we come out before that who knows uh but we'll do a trade deadline special we'll probably talk about the u.s open and the op- the pga as well in in uh in may and june respectively uh and the open in july probably as well we'll probably get into that sure. but until then this has been episode 38 of Hot Takes Only, if you can believe it. I feel like we just we just kind of resurrected it, and we've almost had 20 episodes since the, the kind of reboot, if we will. If you yeah. will. Actually, probably more than that. More than 20 episodes well, or so. Yeah. But, uh, if you have any thoughts on the Tatis Bauer, Tatis peaking sign-stealing incident, you can tweet right. at us at HTO Podcast on Twitter, or Super League, or literally anything else that you want to know about. Uh, at HTO Podcast on Twitter is the best place to get in touch. Uh, you can find this podcast anywhere. Spotify. Uh, Apple, Amazon, um, Anchor.fm is the hosting platform. That is the place where you can get all the episodes and have all the details in one place that is not like a streaming service or something of that nature. Uh, yeah. Willie, any final thoughts? Uh, no, no, no. I got more. I got no more. <laughs> a lot of. A lot of thoughts we got through today, and a lot of a lot of discussion on a lot of different things around baseball and soccer, and just in general. Uh, day one of the NFL draft was today, so I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that next week when the whole draft yeah. is complete. Atlanta is going to have a ridiculous offense, Kyle Pitts, and no defense. <laughs> can we can we not talk about the Falcons like ever again, please? I just I just don't. I I, I want Matt Ryan on my fantasy team. Jesus yeah, take God. take him. You want him? You want him on the Browns? Just take him. <laughs> No, I you should have no, taken I'm Justin good. Fields. I would have liked to have a quarterback that's not named Matt Ryan. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I, don't, I don't know any, any of what's going on in, in the NFL these days. Because, I mean, is there anyone in, in college right now who's going to have the same kind of hype that Lawrence did or even like Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, hmm. uh, Joe Burrow? Tua to an extent. I, mean, I don't think there's a quarterback in the NFL draft right now, in, in college right now who's going to have that kind of buzz next year oh, when the Falcons are inevitably going to have another top five pick <laughs> and, and have to pick a quarterback. Yeah, well. Matt Ryan's done being just destroyed on every play. Yeah, well, they got one more year, Matt Ryan, on the contract, and they'll play it out, and I expect next year they take a quarterback. I hope so. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's that's neither here nor there, folks. This has been episode 38 of Hot Takes Only. We did not get into the NFL draft today. We'll get into it at some point in the future. Yeah. Probably next week. If not, I don't know, maybe a couple episodes down the road. So uh, next week, we will see you same time, same place. Anchor.fm, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why we're still going. It's late. Uh, but thank you all so much for listening. This has been episode 38 of Hot Takes Only. We'll see you next time.